This is Patrick Chapin, and you're listening to Yo MTG Taps. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 14 of Yo MTG Taps. I'm here I'm with, with Joe, Big Head Joe. Who, Hi, uh, I'm Big Head Joe. I can't <laughs> stop laughing. And he waved at the iPod. Again. I do, I wave, I nod at you all the time while we're recording. Have you ever noticed that? I guess I didn't pick like, up on it. Like, you'll, you'll say something and I'll go... Like this, a silent <laughs> nod, like anyone can actually... Like... You should try audible nods. <laughs> How the hell does that work? I don't know. We can ask our guest uh, our guest host with us today, Lloyd Frias. Uh, yeah. Maryland State Champion! Yeah, yeah, I, knew, yeah. I, I knew that would make him... Uh... No, basically, <laughs> since you've started talking, I think this has been my, pers- my post since then. Yeah, <laughs> For those of you, since this is not a video podcast, let's just put it this way. Facepalm regarding most of what Joe's been saying. <laughs> and I've been that way since basically started talking. So, uh, well, we, we had a, a couple of things we wanted to get into before we get into our main topic, which some of you may already know, but we'll get, we'll get there. Um, yeah, first of all, the intro music for uh, today's podcast is a special shout out to our homeboy, Funky J Medina. John Medina, a.k.a. MTG Metagame. You can check his blog out on mtgmetagame.com. He hooked me up for my birthday. I put out a thing a couple weeks ago saying, send me bestial menaces and wolf tokens. Well, John kind of upped the ante a little bit on that one. He uh, sent me a stack of, I didn't even count them, must be about 50 wolf tokens, 10 of which are Japanese. Um, Then he sent me... 10 Full Art Zendikar Forests, also Japanese. He sent me... So awesome. So awesome. I'm running them in my green-white deck. Like, 14 Bestial Menaces. And then he sent me a note. Were any of those Japanese? Uh, no. Okay, just Um, curious. Yeah. You know. So, So here's the note. Hey, BHJ, I hope your birthday was rockin'. I figured that the jungle homies and all the wolves needed some badass jungle planeswalkers to go with them. So he sent me two Garrick Wildspeakers. I also threw a stupid demon card in. This card really sucks. When it's in play, you can't win the game. How lame is that? Sorry for the delay. Enjoy the gifts, Jay Medina. Pretty awesome. So he sent me an Abyssal Persecutor in the mail. And uh, I was completely shocked and, uh, and so overjoyed with this present because it was just cool. I mean, like, it's always cool to get... I mean, like, I was expecting wolf tokens. I was expecting bestial menaces. That's just my, like, silly, obsessive like collection crap and then like he threw this awesome stuff in that i wasn't even expecting so john thank you so much for that that was really cool and that intro so cool yeah too cool and that intro music was for you this week um so so uh also i wanted to mention um i got a message the other day from patrick chapin he um he requested and, and of course he didn't really need to request because i would have done this anyway but um the expanded, uh, yeah, the expanded edition of his book Next Level Magic will be on sale March twenty second, which is two weeks from yesterday. Right? Cool. Um, Monday, March twenty second. 
Um, the price is to be announced, but keep an eye on Star City Games for more information. Um, I believe this is the first full-color magic strategy guide. At least that's that's what uh, what he was saying. He thinks it is, and, and that sounds right to me. I, I don't oh, know. wow, it's full-color. Yeah, yeah, so it sounds like it's really impressive. So even if you've already bought the uh, the ebook there's plenty more information I mean he's I think the ebook was like 200 and some pages this is like 420 pages so there's obviously plenty more content uh, this is a physical book that you can take with you to the beach and you don't have to print it out and put it in a binder like I did <laughs> yeah but you could get a Kindle right like you know, oh yeah the ebook right yeah that sounds like an economical way of doing it. I'll just buy a Kindle to read Next Level Magic. <laughs> <laughs> I think that works out. I mean, you had it that way. But didn't he also mention that there's like some kind of price break for those who bought it previously, the ebook version? Exactly. Yeah, he, he told me there will be a, a discount for anybody who already purchased the ebook. So, uh, which I think is is awesome. I, I don't really care how much it is. I'm definitely buying it, um, even though I do have the ebook. I, I well. Since the price hasn't been announced yet, and this could be listened to before they decide on a final price, <laughs> I won't buy it if it's more than $35. Okay. <laughs> what if it's $36? I'll do some purse snatching to pick up that extra dollar. So uh, we, um, we got an email. I'm trying to remember who it was from. Do you remember? We got an email from Chris. Um, from, from, uh, from Minnesota, who, uh, who was one of our voicemail callers. That's right, that's right. Here's the, I'll just read the email real quick. Hey, this is Chris that called in a few weeks ago. Just listened to the show, and Jund winning again got me thinking. I signed the petition to ban Bloodbraid Elf, and I hate it very much. But maybe there needs to be a petition to reprint Paladin and Vec, or a card similar. Fairies had all sorts of hosers printed for it, but Jund has yet to see any. Paladin and Vec would go a long way towards fighting the Jund menace. Also, you had a discussion about playmats. I thought I would direct you to my friend's website, www.customgamemats.com. He will make you your own playmat with anything you want on it, completely hand-drawn. It would be really awesome if you could pimp his site. Uh, I have the force of will mat, by the way. Thanks for the show, Chris. So we, I went to Custom Game Mats and checked out some of these game mats, and they are pretty damn awesome. Um, yeah, it's some really... Uh... They're like all hand-drawn uh, art. Um, one here, he's got... Is that that's Bloodgast, right? Yeah, there's Thoughtseize, Bloodgast, uh, the new art from Demonic Tutor from the Divine vs. Demonic. Force of Will. Uh, what is that? Tendrils of Agony? Yeah, that's Tendrils of Agony. <clears throat> Venser. Venser uh, Ethereal. What is it? Uh, adjudicator. Ethersworn Adjudicator. Ethersworn Adjudicator, that's right. Garrick chilling with uh, Hound of Con. Uh, yeah, Isamaru Hound of Con. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Oh, yeah, that is Garrick. For some reason, I thought it was Master of the Wild Hunt. Yeah, he does kind of look like Master of the Wild Hunt, and now that you mention it. But, uh,. But yeah, um, this thing. Wait, is it Bitter Blossom? Oh yeah, Bitter Blossom. Um, Sower of Temptation, uh, and a Angel. Chroma, Angel of Rash, Angel of Wrath with uh, Angel, Angel of Fury, or isn't it Angel, Angel of Despair? Oh, and Joe's favorite card of all time. Right, Psychotol. Yeah, I have a ripped up one in my binder. Maloku. Um, this one looks like uh, it's a comic book one. It's Captain America and. Oh uh, yeah. Iron Man and I is that like I forget the guy is it I want to say that's Nova Nova that's what I was gonna say yeah, that's Nova. I thought that's who it was but Buckethead nicknamed <laughs> this one I love oh, I, it, it's man. it's actually one of the Dragon Shield playmats um, but it's got like a sketch of Ernum Dijin like the new art and uh, Maelstrom Jin Maelstrom Jin from Future Sight which is some of the you know best artwork in the game on there that that one's my favorite one I think even though it's not in color um, it I think it just for some reason I like that one the best. So anyway, if you want your uh, play mats done all fancy, uh, he does uh, these um, 
custom game mats. Um, for to get a uh, a full color one, it's a hundred bucks and seven dollars shipping. Uh, for a black and white, it's seventy five dollars. And if you want, just want the mat, just want the mat to draw on yourself, uh, it's ten bucks. Right, right. So. Uh, Definitely cool. We should definitely check him out because uh, he does some really good work. Yeah, customgamemats.com. So, uh, thanks for everyone who requested the stickers. We sent out quite a bit. We sent stickers to uh, the Philippines, Singapore, and the UK. Also uh, the United States. And also the US of A. <laughs> but, um, but I, I mean, I, I was just kind of like, really? People listen to us that don't live in America, that's kind of <laughs> awesome. It's called the it, interwebs. Yeah, yeah. The, the power of the interwebs. I, I like this so much better than being in a band. I, I don't, I, like, after after podcasting, like, I never want to play music ever again. Like, I really don't care anymore. I'm like, you know what? Like, this is just as good. This is so much more fun than, like, like <clears throat> spending, like, two weeks putting flyers up everywhere and then having five people show up to your yeah. show for all the effort there's so little reward for all the effort you put into a band unless you're writing terrible music that little girls like um you know and yeah. that way you get the built-in thing or you're fucking hot pardon my french <laughs> but like you know like um you know it's just like one of those things where it's like there's such a like barrier and then then you have to deal with all the snobs that like are in other bands, yeah, and then like, and, and and it's just it's just this really like clicky, exclusive sort of uh, situation, and and playing like I I, I spent twelve hundred dollars last summer or two summers ago pressing a CD, um, and I've still got like probably nine hundred and fifty of the thousand copies. Oh, my you know what I mean? Like I blew all this money doing this, and then like I I, I played like two shows and it's just like playing in a band sucks I don't want to do it anymore doing a podcast is so much more rewarding because there is such an instant like kind of feedback sort of thing and plus like the magic community is like so much more connected on Twitter and, oh, like, and different things like that like like I can I can post up a, a, a deck list and get like instant feedback about it mm -hmm. and it's just like like in addition to doing the podcast like the podcast kind of helps me fuel my Twitter addiction and my Twitter addiction helps us Fuel yeah. podcast. It's like every tweet shit. is a flyer for your show. Almost, <laughs> well, yeah. No, it is if you think about it, because you're usingly screening like yo MTG taps. All right, I think you're kind of giving out some flyers <laughs> while you're tweeting there. Yeah, but I mean, then the stickers help. I mean, the stickers, <laughs> the stickers are cool. I, I really like having stickers. I mean, like, well, like the thing with the stickers is like, you know, I used to play in bands, and this one got me thinking about it. I used to play in bands, and I'd get like stickers, and I'd be like trying to hand them out on the street. And it was just like, what am I doing? Like, where, where do you go with this? Well, let's go with a couple other things. And plus, we don't have to convince anyone to spend any money to uh, listen to us either. And I think that's usually helpful, that's, too. Well, see, that's the other part, too. I mean, your cost, your startup cost is really low compared to a band. Right. Um, there is no cost slash barrier to entry to get involved with your podcast as in listen to it versus I have to buy your CD or iTunes something. Right, right. And, and I like that, too, because I don't like... I don't like everything as being this big ruse to, like, convince someone to buy something. You know? I mean, like, I don't know. I think it's just cool because it's not like, you know, there's not some, it's not some grand scheme to, like, eventually get people to purchase things from us. Although, if we have shirts, people will want them by the time they come out. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, we won't have to convince people to buy them well, because people will want those things. You exactly. know? We've had, we've had people ask us for play mats. 
for shirts, yeah, yeah, for deck sleeves, or for card sleeves. Um, you know, like we've had people ask for this stuff. We just, I mean, we just, nah, I mean, like we're not, we're not like trying we don't have to have those kind of resources yet. Somebody asked me the other day, like, how do I support you guys? And I'm like, support well, us. Uh, listen to the podcast, I guess. <laughs> I'm like, we're not gonna like open up a PayPal account uh, and turn this into a Jerry Lewis telethon, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't send us money, the podcast will be canceled. Well, that's you know that's kind of what happened with the magic sock. Um, I, yeah. I, I felt like after a while, he was like, I started up this thing for donations, and then like he got real upset when like nobody donated him money. Um, so that was a hell of a tangent. That was fun yeah, though. That was a good was. one. We'll be back with uh, more stuff in our actual topic. <laughs> So real quick, before we actually hop into another subject, I just wanted to, to, to say on the podcast that... that uh, podcasting is awesome. Uh, well, that... Uh, D- uh, David, um, who plays the Spiral, David Nismo, yeah, yeah. Um, he had a box of like old cards with him, and I was digging through them, just looking at stuff, and I found what I think is the most dirtiest card name in the history of magic. Power Taint. Power Taint. <laughs> Power Taint is hilarious. I, I, I couldn't believe that. I was like, Really? power taint like it's just like <laughs> like i don't know like that's terrible yeah but anyway uh, um, uh uh if anybody you didn't really get to this but sorry <laughs> if anybody wants stickers just email us at yo taps at gmail.com you gotta send us your mailing address though i had some people be like yes i want stickers <laughs> Like, okay. We will digitally send them. We will digitally transfer them to you through the internet too. Well, actually, you probably could do that if you think about it. Well, I mean, send if they them had a logo. sticker printer paper. But... Oh, come on! How hard is it to get that stuff out of like Home Depot and crap? Yeah, but it's easier to just. I mean, like, it's cooler to get them already made. Yeah, well, I'm not disagreeing with that. Vinyl to- stickers. I'm totally not disagreeing with that. But I'm saying theoretically, you could do it. Yeah, theoretically. Another so, mass market thing. Yeah. Instant gratification saves you postage. <laughs> right, well, I'll print up a logo and say, "Here you go, print it and stick it." You know, whatever you want to do with it. Um, one other thing, last thing I think before we get into our main topic is, uh, you may have uh, you may have heard of Michael Flores. He's got a blog, fivewithflores.com. He's a uh, he's like a well-known deck builder. I mean, I know you don't. He like, makes decks. Yes, exactly. With like um like wooden has any back porches that kind oh of nice <laughs> nice oh so it's like construction it's like <laughs> right exactly deck construction deck construction he's a, he's a deck construction he's a, specialist he's a deck builder like Bob Vila so uh, <laughs> so anyway uh, but does no, anyone he, actually play does that do people use these decks I mean like for like pout parties and <laughs> for like cookouts yes yeah. lovely exactly um, he hasn't written a blog post in weeks. He has, to be fair, he has kept up with his weekly Daily MTG article. Which is not a blog post. Right. <laughs> I said he hasn't done a blog post in weeks. And people are, are hungering for this. But we do have to say they did do uh, some awesome Top 8 Magic podcasts. Yes. And that, that was what I was going to suggest, um, you know, that he mentioned in that podcast an Esper deck that he had designed pre-World Wake um, that he thought was the best deck. He said he had the same feeling about that deck as he did about Naya Lightsaber before Worlds. Hmm. But it didn't have any World Wake cards in it. And um, I would love to see that deck. And if he wants to update it for World Wake for his blog, or if he just doesn't want to, that's fine too. I, I, that's, you know, up to him. But I would like to like to read a blog about that and maybe, you know, take a look at it and try to update it for World Wake myself. Right. Know? Well, he said that um, 
his computer's been down and stuff right, like right, that. Right, right, right. That's right. But it didn't stop him from writing his uh, magic article. Right. He, well, he, I think he wrote them out on legal paper and <laughs> and mailed them in. <laughs> well, anyway, um, yeah, Mike, it's time for you to whip out your deck and show it to us. Because, um, I mean, we've been waiting with bated breath for a month now. And uh, I think it's about time. Um are you done? It's getting to be that time. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so, so for those of you who have been listening to the recent episodes, we've kind of been teasing this uh, this episode for a couple of weeks now. Um, we were going to talk about the reserved list. Um, it seems to be a hot topic recently. Uh, specifically, it's kind of been brought to uh, to everyone's attention because of the reprinting of Phyrexian Negator in the um, the upcoming Phyrexia versus the Coalition dual decks. Um, so, gotcha. I, I don't know exactly how you guys want to start it off. Like, well, I think one of the problems that I've come to realize over the last few weeks, and this is something that a little deflates this entire um, segment and podcast, is that there's two different things right now. That there's reserve list, and then there's the actual reprinting. Discussing one doesn't necessarily mean you're discussing the other, and vice versa, and all that stuff. I think that's a distinction that really hasn't been made in most cases. So. Right, because just because they can reprint something doesn't mean they will. Exactly. And that's a big that's point. That's one thing that's a little bit uh, <clears throat> confused. So I think um, calling this a reserve list discussion may be a bit of a misnomer. Good possibly, point. Very yeah. good point. Because I, I, think, I don't think it's a misnomer. No, there's no possible. I'm pretty sure this is a misnomer. Yeah, I, I think it might be too because what, you know, my stance on it actually involves, I'm not only for the, the what is it, the uh, abolishment of the reserved list, but I'm actually... I want them actively to reprint these cards, um, and that's my stance on it. And I think the reason we have Lloyd uh, on here is because you know, partly because he's, he's awesome. He's yeah, exactly. That's the <laughs> that's exactly why. So that's it. that's what I was going to say. But no, there were, one of the reasons we wanted Lloyd on the show is because he's got a, a, a very different opinion, and also he's got a very different um, background in a way because he plays vintage. I don't play vintage. Last time I played vintage was 1995. <laughs> before it was vintage. You know, before right. it was vintage. You know, so, I mean, it, it's not a... I guess I, you could say 2002, because I did have a, a mono-black deck that just put whatever I wanted into it, you know, like Dark Rituals and things. But anyway, my point was I wasn't... I never have actually played vintage. I've never played Legacy. Um, so, you know, we have some different backgrounds and we wanted to kind of get some uh, various opinions and kind of have like a, maybe a, it would be a more active discussion, I think, when we actually have some... Uh, Differing opinions some and different, different perspectives, realistic. Perspectives, that's the word I was looking for. Which to. I think is, you know, makes for good radio. Um, exactly. So, first of all, for those of you who don't know, we should just briefly touch on what the reserve list is. That's I a mean, good point. Some of, our, some of our listeners might not know what it is. Okay, and I actually have a, uh, a highlighted section in here. I have good. the actual reserve list policy here. Okay, um, so you want to go ahead, Lloyd? Um... Let's see. So, well, first of all, why was the reserve list printed? The reserve list was printed because. Well, let's. Is, is it in the policy? No. Well, hang on. Let's just go through the whole thing. The reserve. The problem is that when we talk about the reserve list, the reserve list that you were about to speak of was the reserve list back in like ninety six, ninety five, ninety six. It was revised in two thousand two. Okay. So, um, I'll just quote directly from. This is all available on Wizards of the Coast under mm -hmm. the reprint policy. 
Primary to the value of purchasing magic cards is the concept that each card will maintain a reasonable value over time. Because we're sensitive to this issue and to the ramifications we're printing cards too soon or too often, we try to make decisions that won't negatively affect card collectability over time and that will enhance the value of cards you purchase. To maintain your confidence in the magic game as a collectible, we've created this Magic the Gathering card reprint policy. It explains why we reprint cards and lists which cards from past magic sets will never be reprinted. Section one, why we reprint cards. I'm going to paraphrase uh, two reasons. The cards we reprint make for enjoyable gameplay, and B, all magic players deserve an opportunity to play with these cards. Any card that isn't on the reserve list may be reprinted. Okay, so here's the reserve list um, section, which is the topic of discussion. Sorry. The complete list of reserve cards appears at the end of this document. Reserve cards will never be printed again in a functionally identical form. A card is considered functionally identical to another card if it has the same card type, subtypes, abilities, mana cost, power, and toughness. No card will be added to the reserve list in the future. No card from the Mercanian Mass set and later sets will be reserved. In consideration of past commitments, however, no cards will be removed from this list. The exclusion of any particular card from the reserve list does indica doesn't indicate that there are any plans to reprint that card. Um, it applies to both English and non-English cards, so you're not going to find, you know, dual lands magically reprinted in German. Right. You won't find your mangroven suits. Which one is that? That's a bayou. Oh, nice. I used to have a set of uh, black-bordered German bayous. Oh, that's awesome. Um, that's how I know the word is mangroven suit. <laughs> Just like I know Zusammengeschmolzene uh, Einfluss, uh, which is uh, molten influence. Um, For example, yeah. I have I have one of those, and it's, I just um, there is a section here, and I think this is where the debate's coming up, or the loophole, as a lot of people call it, is special purpose reprints. All policies described in this document apply only to non-premium tournament legal magic cards, which the coast has and may continue to print special versions of cards not meant for regular gameplay, such as oversized cards. Okay, see that's the part where it gets a little shady because they can reprint but they're not supposed to be tournament playable. Right. But you see Judge Boyle promo is a survival of the fittest, Frexian Dreadnought, and I think the reason why this, and the whole reason this topic has even come up, Frexian Negator is a new one. Right. Because it's in a premium foil form, so that's kind of taking advantage of the loophole, but at the same point, it's in the policy. So, and I think that's kind of where we're getting this, uh, why this discussion of the reserve list has even come up at all. Uh, another thing, and, and this is, I'm going to say this, uh, kind of ahead of time a little bit. There have been several articles uh, talking about the reserve list in recent weeks. Um, ben Blyweiss on Star City Games wrote a three-part article about um, kind of like the, the price of some cards. It, it kind of, the main focus is the reserved list, but there's some other topics thrown in there as well. Um, and also Stephen Menendian on Star City Games. Mm -hmm. Blyweiss was invited along with Stephen Menendian, Stephen Menendian and another person they were flown Neither. out to Wizards of the Coast, not being told why they're being flown out. They had they have signed an NDA, non-disclosure act, and what we can what they can tell us is that the discussion was about the reserve list. They can't give us details of what exactly is going to happen with regards to the reserve list, but there was a discussion about it. Right, and they said they said specifically that they they did not affect policy right, right. by their attendance at these meetings. You know, they just wanted to get 
like they did not personally affect policy, but they wanted to give their opinions, right? And so, so they were able to. Well, they were asked to give their opinions. Well, right, right, <coughs> and somewhat um, extemporaneously because they weren't told that hey guys, we're bringing you up to discuss the reserve list. They weren't told that they just showed up. Hey, picked up, brought to wizards. Here you go. Tell us about the reserve list. Right. So, so it was. Uh, so these articles kind of go over the opinions that they presented to wizards. Um, so Menendian wrote an article, and Blyweiss wrote three articles, all available in Star City. Um, Ben Blyweiss's articles are free. Menendian's is on the premium side, which you all should have anyway. Um, but will be available within 30 days. That's that's true. And what is it, after 30 days? 30 the days articles it become, are free. Yeah, 30 days premium articles become free. Okay, so there you go. If you want to, if you if you can't afford it at the moment, you know you can wait. I guess three three more weeks or so. Um, Not like this discussion will end in three weeks. That's true, that's true. So so, so so it's still going to be relevant. Right, exactly. Um, But I am going to quote some from these articles, mostly from uh, Ben Blyweiss's articles, just because the arguments that they present are um, in line with my own opinions. And um, and here's just a a quote about the reserve list. For those of you who aren't familiar with the reserve list, here's a quick rundown. In the wake of Chronicles and 4th Edition, there was a lot of collector backlash about the devaluation of magic cards due to reprints. Wizards of the Coast made up a list of cards that they said they would not reprint, and over the years, this list has been shortened, amended, and made to never include cards past Urza's Destiny. Um, so that that supposedly is the reason of the origin of the reserve list was because of people yeah. being upset when. Uh, let's give an, let's give a specific <laughs> example. Uh, when Magic first started, the set uh, Legends was in print. Legends packs were going for I think twenty dollars. Ten bucks pack. each. Ten? I thought it was twenty for some strange could, reason. Could, well, I'm sure it's certain. Well, in the article it said ten. So right. Okay, let's just say for the sake of argument, ten dollars a pack. What's the price of a pack nowadays? Four but four dollars. Mm-hmm. I think packs number like two fifty, two dollars. Yeah. Like, yeah. So MSRP or like, something like that. Yeah. MSRP is like two dollars, two forty nine, and now you got a pack that's going for ten dollars. And this is an in print pack. Right. Right. This is before they were even out of print. Right, so that's the first thing that's crazy about it. I remember buying packs of the dark for like seven dollars a pack. Yeah, exactly. I remember that. Well, I mean, that's the inflation of the, uh, the pack right there and everything. Well, there's. Let's just use this as an example. In Legends, that's the source of the Elder Dragon Legend cards. Right, like Nicol Bolas, Chromium, Vindictus Ismati, um, all that stuff. What happened is that Chronicles reprinted. The, all those cards. And these are singles that were selling for like $20, $15. And then I can go to Chron- that summer, I go, Chronicles, look, I got a Nickel Bolas. I only spent $2. And look at all the other cool stuff I got. And that's how this reprint policy came about. So, he, so here it is. Um, and this is again from Blyweiss's article. He said, uh, The reserve list was originally made when Magic was a fledgling game, not only in and of itself, but for an entire industry of collectible card games. It was a reaction to 4th edition and Chronicles due to the scarcity and high value of sets like Legends, Arabian Nights, and Antiquities. Uh, Not so much the Dark. In fact, none of the regular sets released post-reserved list have had any of the printing shortages against demand that were seen from sets pre-reserved list. So basically, it's like uh, the reserved list was almost a response to their shortage, like to these these shortages. It's a... you know, the reason the cards had these high values from Legends and things, or part of the reason they had these high values, were because the packs were so expensive. It was so hard to get these cards because, you know, even the booster packs were, were well, the booster- three times the cost they should have been. Well, that's true, but at the same point, you're also making the argument that 
if it's a starting game, you're not going to make an excess amount of product. So, I mean, the game just scaled in response to demand. Exactly. Right. So, I mean, it's natural what's going to happen there. Right. Well, and that's what, what he's saying, at least the way I understand it, he's saying the reserved list was almost entirely unnecessary because anything after, well, I guess anything after Chronicles or that area, that era, uh, had plenty of supply anyway. So there was no reason to put anything after that even on the reserved list, like revised edition and things like that. I mean, it was like Legends, Arabian Nights, mm. Alpha, Beta, things like that, where they had the limited print runs. Those may have had... But you can more reason to be on the reserve list. The other cards were all were becoming more readily available because they printed way more. If you're talking specifically about Chronicles, yes. But I mean, if you're talking about Revised, for example, you could, the biggest reason that there is even the discussion of the reserve list is Revised and Unlimited because of the dual lands, right? For Legacy, that's literally what is fueling this discussion. So, and I, I agree, the dual lands I think are the most important part of this. Um, but yeah, so what I'm saying is. Collectors were upset about the value of the cards dropping because, you know, these cards were being reprinted. Well, the value of the cards was only there because the cards were scarce. So once you got to sets like Revised... But that's not necessarily the case. Value of cards are driven by two things. Not only scarcity, but playability. Exactly. I, I, I agree. And I think that has to do a lot with what's going on now, is that Legacy has become such a like a hot format, I would say, Absolutely. in the it's, world of Magic. It's a trendy format, honestly, and that's the pro that's the reason why it's seeing this boom. You didn't see this boom, what was it, 2004, when... I, I mean, this is how I look at it. My perspective is that if you played Extended up until the rotation started with Onslaught, Dual Lands were the only thing allowed from, like, pre-4th edition. Hmm. So... When the, when the rotation started, the dual lands rotated out. Okay, that would have been the perfect time for Legacy to pick up the slack before... The, but what happened at the time was Legacy was not really a format. What I mean by that is that Legacy's banned list was, hey guys, let's take the reserve list and the banned list from type 1. And that's... Restricted list. Yeah. The restricted list. Restricted list. You know, the restricted list and the banned list from type 1. That's our list. So realistically, you have a format that is... A red-headed stepchild of yeah. Type 1. Um, once Legacy was uh, created as its own independent format a couple years ago, that's when it started taking off. And it has, though. But it has right. taken off. Exactly. Well, and that's, uh, that's the part of the playability issue. I mean, what's the difference between that and, say, Vintage? You can make the urge Vintage is more expensive, but you can also argue, well, here's the thing that's different from Vintage and, and Legacy. This is a, my perspective because you don't have this experience. Vintage right now... Everything is a proxy tournament. I can. There is one sanctioned vintage tournament. I can. I. I have the option of going to every year. Vintage Worlds at Gen Con. Hmm. I mean, technically, I could go to the Bazaar of Moxen in France to right. play sanctioned vintage. I think I have a slight um, financial problem with doing that, but I think it would be awesome, and I'd love to do it someday. Just I can't do it right now. now <laughs> but the thing is, what that's what I'm getting at, though. If everything is proxy, that means you have access to every card, even if you don't own it. Right, but who wants to play with proxies? I don't want to play with... If I wanted to play with proxies, I don't need to buy any magic cards. I can just take out anything. Any, a, any deck of cards and marker on it and play, you know, play whatever card... There's Baneslayer Angel. Oh, you spelled it wrong. So. But that's part yeah. of the problem with, with <laughs> Vintage. I mean, well, not the problem with Vintage, but what happened with Vintage, according... And I'm, most of my stuff is coming straight from these articles. Right, right. Um, I don't have any personal experience on, on, on what happened in Vintage because I wasn't there. 
But what I understand from reading these articles is that, you know, vintage had a surge in popularity in the mid-2000s, mm -hmm. and then it kind of, like, tapered off. Right. Because... Supply couldn't keep up with demand for the cards. Right. And, like, so, so uh, as they said in the article, the bubble burst right. on it. And, and people, well, you know, the, the cost of entry was too high, and people lost interest and started, you know, playing other formats or whatever. Right. Well, and, well, that's not the case. The case is that if you're, you're eliminating the barrier to entry with products, this is a solution. I'm not agreeing or endorsing it at this point. I'm just stating the fact. Okay. There, the bear. If you eliminate in economics, a barrier to entry is an entry cost to start getting involved in something. So the barrier to entry at vintage is relatively high. However, the trade-off is it's a long-term investment. So if you eliminate the barrier to entry, you open the accessibility to more people. That's the principle behind proxies. Right, and that's where we're, that's somewhat creating the scenario that vintage has today. But most, but most, uh, most proxy tournaments are ten proxy, right? Is that is that is that the standard number? Uh, about? Standard is about ten, and then usually you can purchase extra proxies at an additional cost. Okay, uh, some it's about ten to fifteen is about the average. Um, but see, so that so that takes care of you know Black Lotus and a few other staples and, and a couple lands. I mean, if, I mean, but the way I look at it is if you want to play, like, a three-color deck, you need, what is that, 12, 12 <laughs> dual lands? Not even. Is it? Or is it? No, eight? it's not even, because the thing is, most vintage decks do not run a full set of dual lands. Okay. So you have, like, two to three copies of something like that, and then you have the fetches to cover the... Fetch it up when you need it, as mm. needed. That does make sense. Um, you know, so, but anyway, my point is, like, you know, so you got ten proxies, you put those ten proxies in, you're still going to need other cards. And, I mean, obviously... You know, but it's still it's still order to a barrier to entry to the format. Sure, no, and it definitely reduces it if, greatly. I if would there's say. even the case though that you have the option to buy more proxies, your barrier is even lower than that. Right, but but I, 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 to me, like I can't even. Think, I don't like the idea of using proxies at all. So I to agree me, with you. Like, yeah. I agree with you. Not using proxies. I can tell you for right now that since I started playing vintage, um, I have proxied exactly one card. Pithing Needle. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, That's funny. Well, no, I proxied Pithing Needle when it first came out in Kamigawa Block. How do you think I'm going to get a hold of them when it's awesome and every format it's legal in? Right. right. It's like, here, play $20 a pop for Pithing. It's like, um, no. <laughs> it's a sideboard card that I need one or two of. I don't plan on blowing 40 bucks for it. That's pretty funny. Yeah, it is pretty funny. Um, but, I mean, as far as barrier to entry, you're right. It, it gets it down for the people who... Who are I guess willing to play with proxies? I mean, I, I don't have any interest in playing with proxies. But at the know. same point, if you can't make an argument that you want to play a format if you've never actually tried to play the format, and this gives you the opportunity to do so. Because well, I mean, I can say I want to play it just because I've never played it doesn't mean I wouldn't want to play it. Like you know, a video game I've never played it looks cool. I want to play it. I yeah, want to play Dead Rising, but I've never played it. Right, right. <laughs> so I mean, the barrier entry. No, is I mean, Xbox like if you are invested enough to want to play it on a level that you are willing to spend money on it, wouldn't you try it before you buy it? Isn't that the idea behind shareware? Not that shareware got off the ground. <laughs> shareware, <laughs> what a success! But no, I, I understand what you're saying, but to me. I'm because I, I don't want to play with proxies, and I do want to play Legacy. Uh, Legacy is, is the example I'm giving because that is the format that I'm more interested in. Um, but you know, same thing, vintage. Um, I want the cards to be more available. I don't want to play with proxies. I don't have the desire to to play with proxies or to put in some ridiculous amount of money to to play the format. Um, 
It's just not something... I, I, that's why I've never played Legacy or Vintage, because I don't have the money to do it, and I don't want to play with proxies. So, um... Well then, let's. I mean, let's move on. I think from uh, yeah from proxies. Um, and let's like. Hmm. I think. Well, my original point, which I think we went off on a tangent, but uh, was just that I think the originally when the what the reserve list was for. I think it would have automatically corrected itself had they not made the reserve list because, you know, they were making it to appease people who had bought the scarce sets, the sets, you know, the expansions that were very scarce. Collectors. And, yes, the collectors who had purchased those cards, at the time, a lot of those cards had their value because they were scarce. Because I had never seen a Nico Bolas until I saw it in Chronicles. Mm -hmm. I had never seen the Wretched until I saw it in Chronicles. Because those cards were scarce. So they, of course, had value. They had value because nobody, you couldn't find them anywhere. What Wizards did was create this reserved list for a problem that was already solving itself for the future sets, for future expansions was already going to solve itself because they were printing them in much higher quantity and now it was not going to be so rare to see Autumn Willow for example you know she was not going to be nearly as rare as Nico Bolas before you know had there not been a Chronicles um, but you're also assuming the point of if they have a higher print run that it's actually still available because I mean let's take a look at an example from recent history I think there's a high volume of Cold Snap available a set that did not sell very well Right. They right. did have a large printing of it, but you're still going to have trouble finding Cold Snap. That's okay. true. Well, I mean, not anywhere near as much trouble as people had finding Legends or Arabian Nights or something. You know, mm -hmm. not, you can find Cold Snap easier than that. Plus, at the same point, though, all of the, every expansion is a limited expansion. They have a set print run on these things. Oh, of course. And I'm not saying that they don't, but I think that they their print run is exponentially higher at this point. And, and starting... I think it's gotten exponentially higher even as the years have gone on because Magic, I think, has gained popularity, so they've probably wanted to print more. I don't know the, the specifics of print run. All I can say for sure, and I guess it's not even for sure, but I'm going to assume that we're printing more now, and we're even printing more of sets like Homelands than they printed of Legends and Arabian Nights and Antiquities. I would assume that they printed more of Homelands and, and things because that was when Magic took off and they realized they wanted supply to meet the demand. So from that point on, there, there was no need for a reserve list, or way less need for a reserve list, because these cards were a lot more available. Um, I think that, um, you know, given Legacy's current popularity, trendy, mm -hmm. if, if it's, I mean, maybe it's trendy, maybe it's, maybe it's something that's going to stick, but the point is, right now, Legacy is a hot format. It's relevant. It's it's a definitely that's, a very relevant format. It's, it's to the point yeah. where they're, uh, you know, where uh, who was it that that tweeted that the other day? Was that Aaron Forsyth tweeted mm -hmm. about uh, the possibility of making it a pro tour? Yeah, making a legacy pro tour. It's like, do you feel like we should do a legacy pro tour? Right. You know, um, so it's obviously something that's catching on with with players. It's currently the number two sanctioned format in Magic ahead of Extended. Well, the reason why it's that is because of the popularity of independent tournaments. I mean, you right. look at. Star City Games, they are holding a legacy event back-to-back -back with each standard event. Of course it's the most popular for right. because you have more opportunities to play it. Exactly. But, I mean, the same thing goes. Extended could be that way if they put more more tournaments for Extended. Like, honestly, um, prior to the PTQ season this past January, I don't think there was an Extended tournament since I moved back to Maryland in the fall. 
Well, and, and that's a good point. I mean, but that's and that's all what it is. That's what makes it relevant. It's really the tournament organizers deciding what they wanted to to put it out. But right now, that's standard. A, but if you're if that's the point, then you're saying that basically that the popularity of the format is inflated because of tournament organizers. Yep. <laughs> yeah, well, we, well, well then yeah, if they could, they could shift it. They can shift it then to whatever they want. Well, which maybe is what that's they're doing. Partly true, right? Which is what they're doing, and which is why there is an increase in price. Sure. Well, mm -hmm. that, well, and that's true. But the point is, now there is an increase in price, and and, and as a result of an outside source and interference to some extent, from one perspective, right? But yeah. also, you have to take a t look at if this format wasn't popular, then they wouldn't be drawing anybody to it, right? If people didn't want, like, like people will it's only come. It's a cycle here because you could say that. I wouldn't hold more tournaments if it weren't popular. However, it is popular because I'm holding more tournaments. Right. See, it, they definitely affect it's each a other. It's a circular argument there. That's the, right. That's the discussion we're going to have. But it's only gotten more popular. It hasn't, it, hasn't, it hasn't decreased. Like, people haven't gotten sick of it. Like, they're not like, okay, enough with the legacy already. I right. want to play more standard. People are actually well, showing no, up in I think, it, I think that's part of the reason. Part of the reason is a lot of people hate standard at the moment. Right. So they're going to other formats. Right, and that, the fact that we have these other formats is one of the greatest things about this game, that we have these other options. But when the options have such cost, you know, barriers to entry, it's like almost like we don't have those options. Like, I, right now, I've never been interested in Legacy because of the cost, Legacy or Vintage. It's because I feel like those cards, I'd have to go out and acquire them, and they, a lot of them are more expensive than what I can pull out of a pack or, you know, buying a box... In standard, you know, for the standard sets, the in-print sets. But, but, but I'm sorry. But I, go ahead. My point is that only recently, because I'm now reading more articles about Legacy and seeing more coverage of Legacy, I'm like, I, I want to play Legacy. I want to play with Force of Will. Last time I touched a Force of Will, I don't know when it was, probably in a pack, and I thought, what kind of crappy card is this? You know, and put it in my binder or had it in a box, and somebody went, hey, you want to trade this? I'm like, sure, give me your, you know, lightning bolt or something. You know, like I probably traded it for something terrible if I ever touched one. You know, right. that's what I'm saying. And here, like, I want to play with Force of Will. Force of Will's not even that expensive. But, you know, that's an example. If, if I'm going to play in a format where Force of Will is legal, there's a whole set of cards that I'm going to need surrounding it. Um, you know, Dual Lands being the, the probably the highest, uh, or the biggest culprit. But anyway, I'm saying there is, I'm more interested in Legacy now because there are tournaments, even if I were to never go and play in one of those tournaments. I, I now I have, have an interest in playing Legacy. I want to play with Dual Lands. I haven't played with Dual Lands in 10 years. You know, I haven't, you know, played with a lot of these cards because I didn't, I wasn't aware of their power when I was playing in the 90s and, or, or just never had them, had access to them at all. Right. So, 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 so what has to be done? I mean, like, so w what do you do to, um, to, to make the format more accessible to to players who want to get into it. So so I mean like what do you do? I mean like do you I mean like do you reprint certain cards? I mean like well at the same point didn't you didn't we say that the market corrects itself? So wouldn't the best answer be do nothing? Well, no, the market correcting itself I think had to do with in general markets correct themselves. That's economic theory based off free enterprise of Adam Smith, Wealth of Nations. I don't know. I mean they're going to correct itself just like vintage corrected itself. Where, exactly. Right. Where, that's what I'm saying. So it, you, can't, you can't even play it. It's not really an option unless you want to spend a whole lot of money. So it corrects itself in that, yes, it becomes less popular because people can't play it. So if you want to consider that correcting itself... I don't think that correcting the format is making it harder to enter and making... 
and, and therefore drawing more players away okay. from it. Right. Let's go through a couple things here. The format growing implies that it needs more cards. That it need more cards need to be available. However, that's the that's the current state of affairs. The format. However, you got to look at it from the perspective. If there's that many people getting in already, the format itself is already healthy. The that fact is, that it keeps growing. Very valid point. The yeah. fact that it keeps growing independent of any action shows that the format is healthy. Right, but it's going to stop at some point. That's the problem. Right, that's, that's the that's the nature it's of things. It's going to hit the though. ceiling. Right. But here, but it's going to hit the ceiling, leaving players such as myself just out, un, unable to play it. So it could be, it could continue growing. But it, that growth will stop and will eventually start to shrink. And I don't think that that's what they which, want for the long term health of the game. Which at some point you could say, okay, there are pe- the people that got out of the format are the people that were not really interested in it to begin with. Because if you love a format, regardless of popularity or not, you will do the steps to get involved in it. Right, but all it, on their end, they just need to see the money once. They don't need your money whether you're going to be playing. You know, if you buy you know, these cards from them, they have your money. Whether you take the cards and stick them on your wall or you put them in a deck or, or whatever, they've gotten that. Now, of course, they want to keep you involved in it, but that's why they print new cards every you know, three months to keep you involved in the game. Right, but you got to factor in that the new cards being printed. That focus is more for standard as opposed to other formats. That's true. Yeah. So, but that I mean, means, so that's that, what I'm saying. Like, once they've purchased, once somebody's purchased their vintage and legacy cards, reprints, whatever they happen to be, which is how some people justify the barrier to entry because you factor in a higher barrier to entry for an older format. I'm just speaking generally, not specifically legacy or vintage. That is offset by not needing to cycle cards a la standard. Right. Then that is an attraction to me. And the other thing, too, is that you're looking at it solely from a financial perspective of a barrier to entry. The problem is there are other barriers to entry, if you think about it, because they're different formats. Mm-hmm. Like, if I lent you, if I, let's, say, let's say hypothetically here, Joe, I probably have all the cards for, you would probably need for Legacy. Mm-hmm. If I were to loan you all my cards for you to go to Star City Games 5K, in Indianapolis this weekend, would you do it? Uh, probably not because I didn't plan on that. But no, Let's, but no would you that, say, that, like, that aside, that okay. aside, would you do it? So, I mean, what do you, would I do it? Would you go and w- play? I don't think I would play. Like, that's what I'm saying. What are you taking? What are you saying? I, I can't go and play because I just don't, haven't planned it. I don't, it, it's not something I've, Plan, but would I? If you if maybe in a couple months, if, if there I was gave, one okay, closer, let's, let's, okay, yeah. let's go. Let's fast forward. Fall this coming year, there is going to be a Star City Games event here in Baltimore. There is a Legacy event. I am probably not playing in that Legacy event. I'm if I felt like if I had fun playing the deck or the format, you know, if I had a deck that have, I had fun playing. How would you know? That's the thing. How would you know that you would have fun playing it if you haven't played it before? Exactly. And if so you know, I would. Well, no, I mean, right. you're going to... You're, see, here's the thing. Here's the problem I have with your statement. Okay. Your judgment about whether you're going to attend is if I had fun playing the deck, and that's how I'm going to base my opinion on whether I'm going to attend. But I can't make an opinion until I attend, so you're you have a circular argument there. No, no, uh, you're saying as as my first ever time playing Legacy? I'm yeah, just saying but, Legacy in general. I mean, I know people that hold Legacy tournaments. I mean, I'll, this is a plug a little bit, too. Monday nights at Legends, we have a Legacy vintage group that playtests. We have people that bring extra decks so people can get into the format hmm. to experience it and understand this. 
But that's the thing. You have to have that experience to know that you want to get in the format first as opposed to just having the options available to you. Right, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I guess, sure, I could go up to Legends and borrow a deck from somebody. That's not attractive to me. That's just a hair more attractive than playing with proxies because it's not my cards. There's something about something visceral about owning and having my own cards and my own decks. I mean, that's why that's just the kind of player I am. I know that a lot of players aren't like me. But sentimental, they, especially... value, sentimental value aside, I understand that completely because that's the same reason I don't proxy anything in Vintage. But right. I've been to Vintage tournaments where a mox is the prize. You know what I've seen happen? The winner wants to split cash. Right. <laughs> right, so, so I mean, and that's... That's, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's, oh, the, that's a personal choice. But what I'm saying about barrier to entries that are non-monetary is that, let's go with a couple things. Do you know the deck? No, that's a barrier to entry. Do you know what the other what other decks are in the format? No, that's a barrier to entry. There are barriers to entry aside from money, aside completely. And just focusing on reprints and everything, that's only a money thing. But there are other reasons one does not get into any format. They just happen to like say, hey, I'm going to go play this. Right, but it's I like, think that it all comes back to access to the cards. Because right. it does. If, if, if Joe had access to the cards, he would be able to build a deck. And then he would be able to, because Joe doesn't want to play with someone else's deck, he wants to play with his own deck. Joe wants to own the cards that he's going to play in the tournament with. So he has to get the cards first before he can feel like he's ready to construct a deck that he wants to play in a format. Then he has to go and play against other people and learn the metagame and right, learn explore the, the format. and explore the format more. But the barrier, the initial barrier, I mean, yes, you can own all the cards and not have any idea what's going on, build a horrible deck, and then go play poorly all day against stuff that you don't have understand like the first way to deal with. But the initial barrier and the biggest barrier, because yes, Joe could just as easily borrow a deck from you or borrow a deck from like Paul or something and like and be able to like play those decks and then like and learn the format. But Joe wants his own cards. Joe wants to play with his own cards. And it sounds like I'm talking in third person. Well, no. um, but but <laughs> it so, does a little bit actually. But like but he but you know he wants to play these decks and or he wants to own these cards to build the decks to play with. So that's really the barrier, whereas the other things are a sub-barrier. You know, like, the main barrier is that Joe wants to own these cards. And so I guess, I guess let's, 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 kind the of focus the, let's kind of focus the argument a little bit. Um, let's try to, let's figure out, since, let's, let's, let's use a hypothetical here. <laughs> Joe is a new player. Joe wants to play Legacy. How does Joe get into Legacy? So, so this is what we're gonna this is what we're gonna do, I mean, and, and and we're gonna assume that Joe can only get into Legacy using the cards that he owns because you could because that's what you want to do, and you you won't play personally. You personally won't play Legacy any other way. That's not really a hypothetical. Okay. That's an actual fact. Yeah. So so let's say. Joe needs to own the cards to play the format. What are the different ways for Joe to get these cards? The first way would be to trade for the cards. Okay, so so let's just say, like, given, like, say you have no money, um, you have to trade for the cards to to build your decks um, or use existing cards. Now, let's be fair. You have a goblins deck that you could probably run in Legacy right now. Um, you have a deck that's put together and it's pretty much has all of the legacy goblin staples in it. Uh, but it's back from when goblins were still standard legal. Is that correct? Yep. 
So, so you could use your pre-existing Goblins deck to play in Legacy. If you wanted to just try the format yeah. out, trial by fire, throw <clears throat> yourself into an event... And try to run the run in, you know run a deck in the event to get an idea of what legacy has to offer. You would be able to use your goblins deck that you actually have right now and play. I now, could also just use my standard deck if I wanted to just jump into a format. Well, that's play. true. That's I'm true, just but, saying. But the goblins, true, but I, oh, and the goblins deck yeah. is actually a, is, right, is it's a actually viable. considered a legacy viable deck. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. I understand exactly. What we're okay. exactly. I understand. So so that's so that's so that's one way you can do it. Um, you also, but okay. Let's 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 get to the heart of Joe as a player. Joe wants to play blue control. Um, so so that's what you want to do. Um, you want to play some sort of blue X control deck. Am I correct? That's correct. And you, I think that you said specifically you want to play countertop. I was thinking countertop or standstill. I wanted to play blue base blue base control. Right. Yeah. Of course. So so we're so we're getting into like how do you get these cards? So you have to trade for those cards. Um, and, I mean, standstills aren't terribly hard to acquire. I used to have a set, and I think I got them stolen when I traded online. Um, uh, you know, so, I mean, there are some cards in the deck. Those, those aren't, I would even buy Four Force of Wills, you know, like, that's, if I, if I could play Legacy, it's, it's like things like the Dual Lands that are 40 to $60 each that become a problem. Yes, and Tarmogoyf, that's 90 to $100, yeah. even though, you know, that's not only reserve list, which is... Part of the reason this is a misnomer too. Exactly, we're talking it's, about we're talking about reprints in general. Well, exactly. But I mean, if you're talking about forty to sixty dollars, I can think of this um, this Worldweight card that's somewhat in the ballpark. You might have heard of it, Jace the Mind Sculptor. I have heard of it, and I could pull it in a pack right now <laughs> for for four dollars, or I could have bought it for twenty dollars and when it, you know when I saw it and knew I wanted it. That's the the difference. I didn't buy Jace. And you could say the yeah. same argument about Tarmogoyf when it was standard. Legal. Exactly, and I did. I had Tarmogoyf, and I sold them, but I'm then. But, well, I'm just saying, like, I, I, that, that's fine, and yes, those, you can say that about anything. If I could time travel back to when it was standard legal, I could have done that, right? But I didn't, and I don't, and at this point, right now, when you're bringing up something like Jace or Baneslayer Angel, you know, those are cards, I didn't spend that much on those cards. I bought, you know, I got a Baneslayer out of a pack, I bought, you know, three other ones for $14 each. You know, now they're $50 and $60, and that's... I wouldn't have bought them at that price, I don't think. If it was just, you know, Jace, for example, I I may have tried to to get four Jaces at that price because he's the one card that it's like probably one of my favorite cards ever printed. You know, Tim so, pulled the trigger, right? Uh, what what happened? Tim, what did Tim do? Tim, oh, he uh, bought four Jaces. He he he. Uh, I think they, he got them for forty eight a piece. Now, that's, yeah, and that's so, uh, but he 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 did it like about a week ago. He pulled the right. trigger. And uh, bought his four Jaces, so he doesn't have to think about them anymore. Because uh, he's just been staring at them, like, "Oh man, if only I had that card." So he just clicked it. He right. Just, he just went for it. I mean, and there are certain cards that are going to be that way, you know. And that's that's a card that I would have probably done something like that for. My point is that the cards are available now. They're available. They're in people's binders. When's the, I don't haven't seen a dual land in somebody's binder. Seems mine, but it, I sold it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's very uh -huh. rare that I well, even see those cards available to trade for. That's what I'm saying. Like these card standard cards are available. They're there. They're in a lot of people's binders. You at the same them. point, you could probably say that it's a location or possibly the players that you, you know the areas that you're at. Because I mean, some players do have that stuff, which are like legacy stuff for trade. Right, and and that's another thing. Like, so I'm going to go and I'm going to say, all right, you have all the stuff I need for legacy. What do you want out of my binder? I have like some of the best cards in standard here, you know. But basically, I'm going to have to trade you two Elspeths 
to get your underground C, one underground C, and you know, to, it's just like this is ridiculous. Except the fact Elspeth's still playable is very playable in Legacy, and the other issue too is that dealers. I mean, this is a quoting from a dealer. Um, I won't give a name on Manadrain. Basically says, I am a dealer. I make more money selling standard stuff than I do legacy stuff. So they would take the standard stuff. They're right. prone to taking it. Well, I understand they're prone, but I'm saying like, but to equal the value to, to you know, I if feel you like use, I'm, if you weren't going to use it to begin with, then what's the difference? Right. Well, I'm just saying like, the thing is I do play standard and I want to play with it. But you stuff. have your sets of most, presumably everything in your trade binder is stuff you have extra of or didn't want or are not, or, not, or have no plans to be using. Right. So that's true. So I have one Elspeth. So now that gives me half an underground C. You know, like, I'm just trying to say, like, even trading away, like, every good thing in my trade binder, all the all the valuable cards, it's not going to get me a legacy deck. It's not going to get me four Force of Wills and and four Underground Cs and, you know, whatever other dual land I happen to build. You know, I'm just, for example, um, you know, the, the best stuff in my trade binder is an Elspeth, a Foil Soren, a Foil Arid Mesa. Like, yeah, those cards are reasonably high dollar compared to standard cards but a lot of the the legacy and vintage cards that's about half as much as some of those are worth or, or you know like force of wills like what 40 or 50 bucks yeah so like so do they i mean so so let's let's talk briefly about reprints and let's talk a little bit about the reserve list um and about the reprint policies and things like that just kind of to figure out philosophies, our, our, our personal philosophies on what they should or should not do with those lists. So obviously they are taking steps, no, I won't say towards abolishing the reserve list, but they are taking advantage of loopholes in their reprint policy to print things like Phyrexian Negator. Phyrexian Dreadnought, Survival of the Fittest, Oath of Druids, etc., etc. Things like that. Yeah, they are they are printing those. So um so what do you what do you think happens next? I mean like what what would you like to see happen next and why, really? I mean like well, now Lloyd, obviously you are um, you're, you're a strong believer in the preservation of the reserve list. I don't know if I'd call it that, because the thing is, realistically, right now, the reserve list has a hole you can drive a truck through at this point. Well, that's true, but but what what, what reasoning do you have to want to see that hole closed? And, and, and what reasoning do you have to want to see the reserve list not be abused any more than it already has. That that's a I mean I'm curious. I'm genuinely curious about that. Okay. Um separate issue from reserve list, give me a second. Thing about it is the policy's currently circumvented. It's circumvented by f things like judge foils, things like special edition stuff. Main issue I'm seeing right now is a matter of credibility with Wizards of the Coast. Okay. If they're stating one thing and they're finding every loophole to get away from what they've stated that's a little bit of a credibility issue. Why should I trust Wizards of the Coast at this point? And that's not saying I don't. I'm just saying, hypothetically speaking, why should I trust Wizards of the Coast as a consumer if they're going to literally try to get out of something, a policy that they existed? Now, this is where someone's going to come in and say, but Wizards of the Coast today is not the same company that made said policy, and they're upholding it as a legacy-type veil. Pardon the pun. Right, right. So what's your response to that? Because that's exactly right. That's exactly how I feel. They are they're they're really an entirely different company. They just happen to you know, it's it's 
you know, people can make mistakes. People make up companies. I think the reserve list originally was a mistake. I think everybody at Wizards pretty much, or at least the majority, would agree that the reserve list was a mistake. So do they say, well, we said this and now we have to stick with it and live with it? Or do they just bite the bullet and say, all right, we made one mistake. We're going to make another mistake and just go back on our word. Uh, let, me, let, let me just say, like it's, like, it's like, what if you say, like, what if I say to you something like, Joe, I met this girl, she's incredible, I'm going to marry her and spend the rest of my life with her. And then, like... I say, I've heard this before. Shut up. No, go and, then, um, and then, you know, you get about six months in and you realize this person is terrible. And, like, you don't want to spend a second of your time with her, let alone the rest of your life. Do I stick with that promise because I made it and because I want to be a man of my word and stubbornly press forward with my promise, even if it was a terrible idea, even if it was something that I instantly regretted saying? You know, like, it's just like, you Technically, know. you have grounds for an annulment there because you do not have a pre-existing condition that is suitable to having a marriage of said quality to begin with. It's like <laughs> saying, for example... Britney Spears getting married a couple years ago to Vegas Little White Wedding Chapel with a person that she doesn't even know their likes and dislikes. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's called grounds for an annulment. Well, yeah, <laughs> but, but I mean, wouldn't you say that, like, you know, there are some grounds for annulment with the uh, Wizards uh, agreement? I mean, like... Well, what you have here in both this and the reprints is a no-win situation. Yeah, well, no, it's At all. It's, it's a true. completely no-win situation. For it, example, I'll just... I, since I've already been pegged as the bad guy for two episodes, <laughs> I'm going to play with this. I'm going to play the role. Sure, 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 sure. Let's get rid of the reserve list. Well, here's the problem. If we get rid of the reserve list, what's going to happen? Well, sticks in the mud like myself are going to say, they took our cards. They took And they're going to reprint everything. But here's what's going to be the flip side of the equation. Unless those cards are mass-produced, and pretty much effectively valueless and available to anyone who can drop 10 cents on them, Joe's not going to be happy because he can't get them, even if they are reprinted, in a limited form. Am I right? Well, that was the extreme way to put it, but I, w I want if you can't roughly have a, a, a Master's Edition set in paper form. That's what I want. Well, the thing is, if, you can't get access, if they're reprinted you can't get access to them, it's might as well you don't have them to begin with. Right, right. So I so, want to have access to them in something like Chronicles... Or Master's Edition, whatever you want to call Chronicles it. Chronicles is mass-produced, though. Master's Edition is a different thing, though. Master's Edition is supposedly a limited print run. Okay, well, something like that. That's what I mean. But, something I mean, it's th that's an example of a no-win situation. You can't get out of that way. Now, if you go with the, well, we have to preserve the reserve list. Well, people with the sticks in the mud go, well, you're still breaching it because of this, 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 and this. And now you have people on Joe's end going, well, now I can't get my cards. Damn it. Right, exactly. So there, uh, but that's, a no the, that's a situation all the time. They can't please everybody. Every time they release a set, somebody's going to bitch about which color is not supported well. Like there's people who are going to complain about no, everything they do. They print, and that's you the know, point. Right. So can't win. Win. So exactly, they can't win. So why not do what they feel is best for the company? Right. Why I mean, because they, they are they feel is they best are, for the game. They uh, are. I don't a business. know. I'd probably say something like this. Uh, what I'm quoting is an argument on Mana Drain. Uh, directed at Stephen Menendian. But here's the thing I wanted to put. I'm surprised that they went with a loud voice over a tournamentizer. The best argument in your favor is that you've sufficiently been loud in the past to get Time Vault eroded and Shahrazad almost unbanned. Like I said, the fact that they chose you makes me think they wanted to be talked into reprinting cards abandoned legacy and or policy decisions that are internally unpopular. That's the best argument in favor of me. It couldn't possibly be for some other reason. 
such as they think that I have expertise in both formats, have been involved in the community of both for years, and could give them insight in the community as well as anyone else. Can I not stroke or deflate your ego by talking about other people who are better candidates if they haven't already made up their minds on legacy-oriented reprints someone accused him? Menendian replies, I can tell you for a fact they haven't. I'm not allowed to directly quote them per NDA, but they were extremely candid and clearly being forthright about what they wanted to do. They were very clear that they have not even considered the possibility of doing real legacy reprints. That really wasn't even on their mind. Hmm. Okay. So That's the, good. The thing about right. it is, we can get rid of the reserve list, but it might not even fix what you're asking. Right. I'm not asking exactly for the re what the the reserve list is no, just a casualty I'm not of what talking, I want. I'm not saying that. I'm saying basically, like, let's reserve list aside. They may not even reprint the stuff that you right. had a whole re argument about the reserve list to begin with. So what is the discussion about at this point? Well, that's what, like you said in the beginning of the episode, it, it's, uh, it is a misnomer because the reserve list isn't exactly the topic that I'm discussing. I'm, that's just a casualty of what I would like to see as a player. I, this, to me, Magic is a game. It's a game I love to play, and I want to play every deck I see. Like, I'm like... And you know it because I have in my book bag right now Naya Lightsaber, Eldrazi Green. Those aren't even decks that I normally like to play, but I have them built because I want to play. I love this game. I want to play. I want to see what it's like to play all different kinds of decks. Yes, I have favorites, but, uh, you know, I, I love this game. And I, I wish all the cards were a penny. Like, I don't care. If they were to say, you know what, we're just going to flood the market with every card we've ever printed, reprint them. I don't care about the value because to me that's like awesome. Now I can play any deck I want. You know, that would be heaven for me. Like, great, now I can just buy every card so I can build every deck, as many as I want, you know, and that's what I would I would love. Of course that's not going to happen, but I'm just trying to say, like, as a player and a lover of this game, that's what I would like to see because I want to play those that way. I want, I want to play everything. You know, uh, you know, um, a lot of the appeal of magic for me, mm -hmm. um, and this is kind of funny, but mm -hmm. is the uh, like the fact that you can use your. See, this would kind of counteract what I'm about to say. Mm -hmm. You can use your cards as currency in a way. Mm -hmm. Like, I have this big ass binder of cards, right? I can show up somewhere, not having money to eat breakfast, <laughs> not having money for anything. And be able to interact and exchange currency with other people all day long, if I wish. You know what I mean? So I love the interaction of trading cards for cards. I love the fact that cards do have values. And, and trying to acquire cards that are worth more than the cards that I have. Not meaning like ripping people off, but like... You know, trying to get a good there's value. There's nothing trade. cool. Like, and nothing that's a driving factor of value in general for the trading perspective. If you have, let's just say hypothetically, unlimited print runs of every card, I'm, like never gonna, I'm never going to buy anything. I'm never going to buy the new set of, um, let's travel back in time here, I'm never going to go back and I'm going to buy World Wake here because, Jason, my sculpture is going to be out in M11, and I can just get it cheaper then. Right, right. The well, thing is, like, if you re if you know for sure that everything's going to be reprinted anyway, all value just flatlines and the secondary market ceases to exist. Right, and, and I agree, that's fine. But I was just telling you my dream scenario is is something, I, I just said it, but like, like Monopoly, right? Because I can buy Monopoly and I can play it. I have all the pieces right there. I can be the dog or the iron or whatever I want to be. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I can do that. And that's what I, to me, it's a game. I want to play it. And there's thousands of 
options, and, and that's what makes this game so much more attractive to me. And that's, see, that's where you and I will agree to disagree, that we each have different perspectives. You are more experiential, like you want to have everything before you experience. I'm more, I like to know what I'm getting myself into before I get into it. Like, I, when I got into Vintage, for example, and I, um, as Joe, like, frequently hinted about two episodes ago about how I uh, spent my uh, college scholarship money on... <laughs> Vintage cards. I didn't um, hint. I straight up said it. Say it. Okay, so I'll, let me give my background here a little bit. I am. Um, I have a master's degree. As a master's degree student, I was given a scholarship. Half of my monthly teaching stipend went towards my rent, and the other half I put towards getting my Power Nine cards. <laughs> so awesome. And half my my uh, my job salary as a desk receptionist when I wasn't paying rent or covering groceries went towards getting things like managerings and dual lands and stuff like that. Because I was playing extended when this stuff was legal, and I wanted to get into vintage. Like I knew what decks I wanted to play because I had played them um, on Apprentice, which was a really big thing back then for testing different decks and getting the feel that like I like the feel of this card. I like the theory of this. I know that I only need one copy of the Abyss because I can tutor it up, drop it, and all creature decks now suck except if they have artifacts creatures. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I know what I want to get, so I have a hit list of, I must get this card, this card, this card, this card, to make decks XYZ, which I enjoy. I don't usually branch out, try different decks, like build the, get the cards to build them, and then go, I don't like that deck, because to me it seems like I just don't think it's a prudent uh, use of my limited funds. You're, I agree with you, I and mean, that's how I actually approach things, the way you're saying, because if, for the most part... Because it's not limitless and it's not a penny a card, like I said, uh, I do have to say, all right, what decks am I going to build and what cards do I want? You know, and try to specifically target the things I want more. Right, but I mean, what I was getting at with the format was this is the difference that I, that you and I were kind of not hitting earlier. Before I got into vintage, I knew what decks I wanted to play or what decks I would be familiar with and everything like that. Like, I knew an idea of the metagame, I knew what deck I wanted to play, I knew I wanted to play red. Blue and black. Gee, why does that sound familiar? Um, <laughs> um, red, blue, and black. Old school expulsion. A deck running Mistress Factory, Strip Mine, Wasteland, Abyss, Triple Morphling, Mana Drains, Force of Wills. I knew I wanted to play the deck, so I knew that I had most of the cards. I knew some of these were transferable into Extended, so I knew I had a very good source to get all the stuff for both Dual Lands and for the Force of Wills. So realistically, for Vintage, I, all I had to get was my Mana Drains at $20 a piece. Hmm. Right. So with the barrier to entry wasn't as high back then. It wasn't as high because first of all, there was no demand. But the second part about it, too, is that I took advantage of the scenario. You factor in when Extended started rotating, what rotated out? Everything in Revise, Ice Age. Look at all the people that were getting rid of that stuff because right. it's not, you know, it's not legal in Extended anymore. Right. And um, there's an article from that time period by Steve O'Connell on Star City Games basically saying to those people leaving Extended, guys, vintage, come to it, try it out. This is the opportunity you've had. And I jumped on the boat then, because that was the opportunity, the scenario there. If you want a card, it is available. There's no disputing that. So that's great. I mean, and I wish we were in that situation right now. If we were in a situation right now where it was like, this is happening, and, you know, I would be jumping on that kind of thing. Just like, you know, I'm keeping tons of my fetch lands because I think... You know, Especially when we rotate, because right. that's the thing. It's like, you can, based off past trends, you can see what cards are going to, quote-unquote, hold their value exactly. play-wise. But, but my point is that I, 
it, what you did then is a parallel to what I'm doing now with, for example, Fetchland, something like that. So, yes, I'm trying to keep ahead of the trends now, mm -hmm. but at this point, I can't do that with Legacy. You know, Legacy right now has gotten prohibitively expensive, and it's not, not something I can do. I'm saying right now, Legacy is way too difficult to get into for someone who doesn't have most of the cards. Right? Does that make sense? Okay, let's say... It's a, expensive, I'm not going to disagree. Let's though, say a new not. player mm -hmm. started playing, doesn't own any cards. Mm -hmm. And the first thing they ever, like, were, were taught... <clears> the first, the, like, the only people that they hang out with... Let's say that, like, you know, you have a circle of, like, five people who play Legacy together exclusively. Mm -hmm. And they have a friend that they want to get into the game. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So they bring him in, like, here, check out this game. You know, this is cool. You guys should, you should play with us. Okay, yeah. You know, I want to build a deck. What do I do? You know right. what I mean? Like, okay. there, there's going to be such a, you know, it's like, well, you've got to spend, like, 600 bucks to build a deck. If, and they're going to be like, uh, I'm not playing this stupid game. Yeah. Like, you guys <laughs> want to play Risk? You know what I mean? Like, right, right. Like, I mean, like, I just feel like that that's definitely something, I mean, obviously, Legacy isn't the, like, the entry level format. That's right. That's the thing. You can make the same argument that... How much money do you spend on a standard deck nowadays? I think uh, someone priced out Jund and Blue Light Control on I have, uh, the other day. I've spent very little money in... Uh... Like what I was saying, if you were to break in brand new, so the same scenario, different format, it's about to get, say, Jund or the Blue Light Control deck or Pat Chapin together, it's about $600 right there. Right. right. If you were to buy the singles, you're right. If, if somebody with no cards, but that's not exactly the kind of thing that... For one, I don't think most people would do something like that exactly, but the, I think what, what I would suggest somebody who says, hey, I want to get into this game, you know, I want to build a deck, what do, I, what do I do? I mean, they've got a couple options, but if they wanted to work themselves to a tier one deck, I'd say, well, buy a box of these cards, figure out what kind of deck you want to build, and trade the other stuff to try to get, you know, to try to build this deck. You know, yes, it's going to cost you, you know, 90 bucks or something for a box, but that's a lot less than the $600 or the $500 for what the deck ends up being. Because the thing is, a lot of it does, like Joe has done, is a lot of trading to be able to build his decks. Right. Because, I mean, I have, I, have almost, I have almost no income. Right. You know, I have, like, practically no income at all. Um, so, like, even trying to play, like, an extended deck is pretty hard for me. But, like, so, but, you know, I mean, obviously there are ways around it. There are ways to make it work. But, like, with Standard, I mean, like, I've just done a lot of trading to right. get the things that I need. And, and playing in Sealed and Limited, these are things not available to somebody who wants to play Legacy. I can't play in a booster draft for, for you know, 12, 15 bucks and pull Force of Wills. But what if you were playing, say, in a place that, let's say, does F&M, mm -hmm. but gives you store credit, which you could put towards... I mean, and, that and, and that's an option, yeah. But then the store has to actually have those. Right. You know, I mean, like, we could do store credit every week at the Spiral, but it doesn't matter how much credit you save up, you're not going to be able to buy a single dual land or force of will from us right. because we don't have those. We only right. have standard stuff. Um, so, I mean, it, it's a matter of finding a store that has that stuff available. I mean, God forbid you try to get singles from Legends. Um, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I mean, that's 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 kind of a non-issue. Even for standard. Yeah. In a lot of cases. Pretty much. Um, you know, but... I mean, so, so, so it's, like, difficult to even find... I mean, like, I'm sure you can go online and find places that sell cards, but, like, there are, other than strict financial transactions, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of difficult to uh, to get things. Um, 
for those different formats. So I, I really want to know, like, why, like, what is it that, that why you don't want these cards to necessarily be reprinted? Like, is it because you've got money sink, you know, no, it's not into a, it, or what, is, what exactly is it's it? It's hardly about money for me. Okay, so that's what I want to know. What is it? I mean, my case basically is it's part of the training experience. It's a part of an opportunity. It's part of the history of the game. And if you recreate history constantly, it has no meaning. Yeah, I guess I'm not sure that that... Uh, none of that really doesn't... Uh, see, that's the problem. Yeah, yeah. See, the problem is that you could make... I can make an argument, and if it's a value-based judgment, it doesn't matter at this point. My opinion and my feelings on the topic and your feelings on the topic really don't mean anything with this topic, because if we're going to discuss the issue, discussing the issue is I don't see a reason to reprint them if they're available. Well, and, that's my, and my issue is that they're not very available. They are. You can get them if you want them. That's the right. They're pro they're, they at a really prohibitive cost, and, you know, compared to other formats, like more. But that's know. natural for the formats because you're looking at it from the sake that the format does never cycles right. versus a format that does cycle every two or year. I guess one one point I could I could make um, taking Lloyd's side for a moment is that um, you know if you want to if you want to ride like if you want to get like a, a '57 Chevy. You know what I mean? Like, right. and, and you want the experience of driving a 57 Chevy, you're not going to be able to go to a Chevrolet dealer and be like, give me a 57 Chevy, but give me one that was made right now. Because it's like, right. uh, no, because they were made in 1957. And if you want a 57 Chevy, you're going to have to get yourself a 57 Chevy and drive that. And that's right. nothing to do with the sake of like money or anything like that. It's a, it's the authenticity of it's it. It's not the authenticity even. It's a matter of the sake of that's it's none I mean it's a playability of the format and it's one of those things of there's so many other factors that I don't think it's going to fix the problem. Like what you what, what Okay, you if like if proxies ruined the vintage metagame here in the United States. A step up from that is mass reprints of staple cards, in my opinion. I don't think that'll fix the scenario, because as I've been trying to get at, there's the barrier to entries other than the availability of the cards are what are really <clears throat> keeping people out of the format. Like, there's nothing keeping me taking Joe, Joe Panuska here, hey Joe, do you want to go up to Philadelphia next this coming week to play in a proxy vintage tournament where you will have the 10 proxies to do that? No, I'm judging the Baltimore Open. Okay, bad example. <laughs> no. But, I mean, that's my thing. Me, personally, were I not judging the Baltimore Open, mm -hmm. why the hell not? I mean, I would totally... I mean, like, I mean, I, I, I feel like... I feel like it would be a fun experience, but I'm all about, you know, Well, I mean, let's go through things. another example, Joe. When we did extend... The prepping for the extended PTQ, how much did you know about the metagame? I mean, like, I knew some of the decks that were around, but as far as, like, how they interacted with the deck I was planning on playing... Absolutely nothing. That's a barrier to entry right there. If you don't know how your deck is going to do against other decks, or how this format goes, or the sp the, uh, the pace, the speed, you are putting yourself at a disadvantage. Like I'm not saying there aren't other barriers to entry, but part of those barriers to entry is actually the fun of exploring a format. Like it's the fun of playing a game. It's you know the barrier to entry of playing Monopoly is you need to know how to play Monopoly. You know that kind of thing. I mean that's I keep using that example, but it's a game, and you know of course you don't have to. You could say like, 
you know, there's all kinds of barriers to entry, but the what big saying, one is not having What I'm saying, though, is that cards. when you bring up those barriers to entry, if someone isn't accustomed to those or doesn't want to deal with those or doesn't enjoy those possibilities, mm -hmm. that is a very big barrier to entry. Like, you might not enjoy having a first-turn Trinisphere lock you out of the game. Right, and I can't speak for, for anybody else, and I can't even speak for myself because I haven't been in that situation yet. But I'm, I'm saying, like, I can't even explore the format. I can't, I'm but you can't. I'm, I can't. You can't explore it in your preferred method. Exactly. But you can you can explore it. But why? What I'm saying is why not? Why not reprint the stuff? What is the good? Where is where's the reason why not? Because you're saying you know your feelings don't matter. It's about. No, I'm not saying there's anything about that. I'm not. I, did I well, mention? I didn't mention value. I didn't mention. I feel that is not a good thing. Well, that's what I'm saying. So tell me why not? Why not reprint the stuff? Because it is a no-win scenario. There, no good will come out of this in any way, shape, or form, right, so regardless saying, of what you do. Exactly. So, honestly, so if you can't win, why not, why not lose in the best way possible? Who says this is the best way possible? You can't quantify that it is the right. best. I mean, I think the majority of players. You can't quantify that it is the best way possible for all parties involved. You could say that it is a... If you can verify that it is the best way involved, fine. I'm but not saying for you, all parties involved. I'm saying for most parties. For the like wizards the, and the majority of players. The majority... I would say... I would say that and, and and we're really not trying to gang up on you. I don't know. No, not, no, not, no. Not I any way care else. less if you both think you can take me. Try. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say that it's probably safe to say that more than fifty percent of the players, not, not not counting anyone who just like collects cards or anything like that, yeah. not counting vendors. That's actually a good point. I would say that. more than fifty percent of the players that currently play the game would like to be able to play in a format that they don't have the access to. I mean, and they don't want to make the financial commitment to, but want to play the game. Yes. Um, I would say that those people would like to see cards reprinted. Now, I can totally well, understand the argument that you know, if it's you know, there there are, there are classic cards, and there is a mystique about some of the cards where, like you know, the, the dual lands are in revised. You know what I mean? Like the dual lands are from revised and older. Mm -hmm. And you know, if you want dual lands, then buy. If you want cheap dual lands, buy revised dual lands. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because that's where they were. You know, that's when they were printed. And and you can't and you can't reprint like like I said before you can't reprint a fifty seven Chevy you know what I mean you can't right. reprint well, an my, old car. Well, what I was saying earlier is about that fact of credibility on Wizards of the Coast part. Right, that's one issue right there. I mean, you want to hurt your own credibility to. But but in a way, in a way, it's not really their credibility. It is Wizards of the Coast as a named entity's credibility, which is what matters under legal purposes. Sure, but. I mean, is there really, I mean, like, is there really a legal argument? You could actually make a legal argument. That's actually been discussed on the Star City forums. Hmm, interesting. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, well. But, I mean, like, you, you have this policy in place, and yes, you could, I mean, there are ways around it. Which they're already taking advantage of, and which is why I'm saying the reserve list is, I agree, do I agree the reserve list is functionally useless? Yes, because <laughs> they can bypass it every existing way possible. Now, how Should they bypass it is another story. And going from bypassing it to reprinting, taking stuff off the reserve list and reprinting it, that's another step from we can reprint it. Right. Okay? So Because we're looking at a different tiered system here. 
that's the problem that we're getting at with this discussion, and I kind of figured was going to happen. Right. Well, the the big problem is that they created the list in the first place. So should there the, be reserve list? Do I agree with that? Yeah, I can care less about the reserve list because the thing is, as they've proven, just because they can't reprint, it's not on the reserve list doesn't mean they will reprint the card. Mana Drain and Force of War are not on the reserve list. Right. right. They have not been reprinted. I think someone in R&D once said, we would have to be hit by a bus before we reprint Mana Drain. <laughs> <laughs> right, but uh, and even that statement was probably they're talking about standard, putting it in the standard. Oh, no, I think I was talking about in general. <laughs> I think that, I think that, um, I mean, how do you feel about them doing, like, something like a From the Vault set? Or they, if they did, like, a From the Vault dual land? Okay, or from the vault lands and included like tabernacle and like maybe I'm, I'm, I, right. God okay. forbid Mishra's workshop. But I'm just I'm just I'm just well, being yeah. antagonistic right, 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 right. now. But I'm just saying, if I could buy four of those at MSRP, I would. You know, I mean, like like if they printed one of every dual land, and even if MSRP was like. 150 bucks. Well, that's a different answer. Okay, but no, but hold on, but hold on. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. But we're still talking about for $150, you would get 10 dual lands, okay? Mm -hmm. You would get Tabernacle of Pendrel Veil. Mm -hmm. You would get, let's say, Winter Mistress Factory to make it a little <clears throat> less uh, contentious. You know, and you would get three other staple lands. What, what are staple Tarnished Citadel. Um, what? I don't know. <laughs> what are you talking about? I've never even heard of that card. I don't even know. What, name <laughs> Sorrow's three Path. Name three <laughs> other. <laughs> oh my god. Did you just say Sorrow's Maze of Path? Maze of Ith. Okay, yeah, Maze of Ith. Maze of Ith is... not terribly expensive. Maze of Ith is easy to get a hold of. Just a classic. Oh, I'm not but trying to... But it's a classic. It's right, a that's, classic. That's what um, You know, Gaius Cradle. Right. Um, and like... Telerian Academy. Things like that. Right. There you go. Whatever. You know, so like... So like, you know, 15 lands... But but in there you got Tabernacle of Pendrel Vale. You got ten dual lands, and it was one hundred and fifty dollars. Would you buy that product? I probably would still. Yeah, if I was getting that that much stuff out of it, I probably would. But I have to buy four of them, so it would cost me six hundred dollars for just lands, and then I still it wouldn't have. But then you'd be done. Oh, of course. But and then so you'd have all that the was, lands. That would be the appeal of it, and that's why I'm saying, yeah, I pro probably would. And do you think that would really reduce the? Would you think that would really reduce? The uh, the value. Do you think that would hurt the value of the dual lands? Do you think that would hurt the value of Tabernacle if it was a limited print run? If it wasn't like a mass produced thing, but like people who wanted to get their four copies of it could drop six hundred bucks, get these play sets, and be done with it, and then there goes the barrier to entry. I mean, do you think that that would be something that could be worthwhile? Couldn't you make that argument though about reprinting things out on the reserve list though, and doing the same thing? Sure, but I'm 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 specifically talking about the dual lands. I'm talking about the number one, the number one, like I would say required, like staple piece of building a, a decent legacy deck would be probably the dual land. So you have some, you know, mm -hmm. you can fetch them up, and 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 they're not going to make they're not going to come into play tapped if you pay if, unless you pay two life. You know what I mean? Like they're they're going to come into play untapped. Ravnical dual lands. No, he was saying not Ravnica. I'm not saying Ravnica. I'm saying like, you know, to get the real quality dual lands, the you know the authentic, which I guess we could put in quotes if it was a uh, new art foil. Right. Um, but I mean, do you think Lloyd that that would be a problem? Do you think that that would be something that would hurt um, would hurt the game essentially? Do you think that that's something that would hurt the game? No, wouldn't hurt the game. 
I mean, because that, that, that's one way to do it. It, without... wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt the game direct. In theory, it doesn't hurt the game, except for the fact that the players that already be... It would be the same experience as Chronicles. Chronicles, in my opinion, started a mass exodus of people from Magic. My entire freshman class played Magic the Gathering. I can tell you when sophomore year rolled around and Chronicles was printed that summer, I think the numbers were down to same, like two hands. But, but would so it really... don't you hurt the game by trying to help it at that point? But is it really going to have the same effect as Chronicles? I'm not talking about a Chronicles 2 electric boogaloo here. I'm talking <laughs> about, like, uh, From the Vault limited print run. I mean, did From the Vault hurt the value of Berserk? Not the unlimited, not the alpha and beta versions. This is what the argument is based on if you read both the articles that we've been referring to. But it neglects completely unlimited Berserk, which did fall. But how, but how much did it fall? And where is it now? Mm, I don't remember the exact numbers, but the point is unlimited and revised print runs of dual lens will be hurt by those factors. My, but, but then now, the, now players like me are involved in the format. You know, now we have now the price of other cards. For example, you know this is what what Blyweiss kind of this said. Is all, is that, the thing is, this is all hypothetical. That because it's more available and more playable, that it increases the price. This is hypothetical. It can't be proven. Well, I guess not. But I, I it can be and proven same, that now that I have now that I've bought these these now I need Force of Wills. Now I'm actually buying the Force of Will instead of just looking at it. Now I just bought Force of Wills that I wouldn't have otherwise bought. And a lot of people are going to follow suit, and Force of Will should, I mean, spike in price if people have access to those things. And it wouldn't be like everyone had access to those dual hands. Right. It would be like people who really wanted to make a serious commitment to getting into a format like Legacy or Vintage would make that commitment to buying those at like 150 bucks a pop. You know what I right, mean? Right. And, and they would get the things they needed and then have to seek out the other things, but it would seriously reduce the... Available or, or seriously reduce the uh, the the barrier. You know what right. I mean? Like it would it would make it a little bit easier. It wouldn't make it so easy that you're going to see revised dual lands drop down to five ten bucks because some people hate foils. Some right. people hate the new card borders. Some people are going to be like, man, this sucks. I just want the revised ones, and are going to continue to buy the ones they have. The people who own them aren't getting rid of them anytime soon because they already have them and they have them for a good reason. Like, they want to get into this format. So I feel like it would just give some more players the opportunity to get into the format without seriously affecting the value of, like, the revised and unlimited uh, counterparts of those lands. Mm, I disagree with that, actually. A unlimited a set of 40 revised dual lands in average condition is about $1,400. That's way too much too soon for something that, hypothetically speaking, for wizards to muddle, I will call it, is, is one opinion here. But, I mean, like, okay, well, 1400 to 600 but, I mean, we're not talking about $600 times $12 million, you know what I mean? We're not talking about... I don't know how much. Uh, yeah, how many, I don't know. How well, many, how, what was the print run on the uh, on, on the from the vault uh, exile? I, you know? I don't think they're ever even allowed to say what the print run is. I don't think they're that's something that they publish. Okay, it's just limited. That's all they say. It's just a limited print run. I mean, I've seen one in a store, and, and, and this is just MSRP we're talking about here of one hundred and fifty. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're not even talking about the inflation well, of what stores will decide to charge for it. You know, so I mean, yes, it would make them more available uh, for a limited time, 
But then those copies dry up, and mm-hmm. the prices... I mean, even if the revised lands go down for a short while, the prices should, you know, resurge because, you know, people got that opportunity to get in. Let me uh, quote what I'm talking about. Sure. Um, there's a discussion on Manadrain about... The reserve about reprints in general. I'm not going to use the term reserve list because that's as we've said before. There are certain examples of cards that have been reprinted and how their values have dropped. Um, the berserk thing is that is before it was restricted in unlimited, a fifteen a unlimited berserk was fifteen dollars. It jumped to thirty, topped out at forty five to fifty. When Berserk was printed in from the vault set last year, all versions lost value with the unlimited dropping to 2530 eventually. However, this did take a while for it to drop, and the foil version, which is the from the vault set, is worth 15 to 25. Um, take Underworld Dreams as a contrast. That was 3540. Right now, it is something like a dollar. Well, that's because it was printed like X times over. But that's what's going to have to happen for this accessibility to happen. Even if it's a limited print run, it's still not going to be enough to do this entry level for so many for the demand of people. Right. So that's why I think they should do another Chronicles, Electric Boogaloo, as Joe said. But that's yeah. what I. That's it for the health of the game itself. Yes, the, the card values are going to drop for people that that have them. But then I think they're going to go back up because it's a supply and demand thing. Now you have more people. That can play. So now, you know, there's more desire for these cards that otherwise they had no desire for. No, they're desirable as it is. Right. Well, well, I think, well, I'm otherwise the prices wouldn't desire, be high. Desirable to the point where they are actually buying the cards. I, yeah, do I desire Black Lotus and stuff? Sure, why not? But if I, here's an example there's with, a with thing, the Zenda There's card. two differences between a desire and a desire you're actually going to do something. Exactly. And that's what, that's the and to me, is. if you're not going to do something with desire, it's idle speculation and isn't worth called, worth being right. called desire. And that's where we're standing right now. There's a ton well, of, there, I think there's more people out there like me who desire to play Legacy, but I'm not no, going to do anything about it because I can't, it's just not, it, the barrier to entry is too high. But then going with what I said earlier, then if you don't want to do anything about it, you don't desire but I don't desire it to that extent, exactly. No, no, there's, there's no... It's cut and dry. It's you desire or you don't. If you don't desire... I think it's... Definitely, desire is not cut and dry. <laughs> to say desire is cut and dry, that's absolutely wrong. Um, it's just... You can desire something to a certain degree. Is it worth the cost of attaining that, that desire or satisfying that desire? So, is it... Do I desire to play Jace the Mind Sculptor enough to pay for it? You know, 20 bucks for it, like I did. Yes. You know, and but is it? Do I desire to play Legacy enough to pay the you know nearly a thousand dollars to buy a deck? I, I have a I have an example that I want to use. It's way too dirty for this podcast, so I'm not even going to bother. <laughs> oh, but I mean, you just got me thinking about Hold on, something. Way too dirty, Joe. Can I, can I, am I so? I'm sorry. Did I use something? We'll cut it out. I'm going to say it and cut it out if you like. Okay. I was going to say like you know what I really want to do um, tonight is to have some unprotected sex. Okay, <laughs> and. Um, you know, the, 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 I would say that the best, the, the simplest path to getting to the unprotected sex that I want to have is to buy a hooker, right? So, so hookers are readily available and they're always willing to have sex. So I would buy a hooker and then I would pay, there's an upfront cost, right? So I would pay money to have sex with this hooker, but then the lifelong STD that I get from having unprotected sex with the hooker, is it really worth... (laughs) 
satisfying that desire. Satisfying that desire. <laughs> but it's, it's a constant. Well, that's the thing. If your desire isn't strong enough for you to actually act upon it, it's not a desire in that sense. Oh yes, it is. Oh, it's always <laughs> a desire, my friend. Well, that's <laughs> up to you. This, like I said, this is an agree to disagree thing because right. one of those things. If you have an unfulfilled desire, pardon the uh, magic card here. <laughs> You're, That's a good one too. If you're if you have an unfulfilled desire, it's pretty <laughs> worthless because you didn't act upon it. Because if somebody wants something bad enough, they're going to act upon it. Right, and I, I'll agree. I don't want it badly enough, and th- and that's made evident by the fact that I don't play Legacy. Or Do you know the number of many hookers? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> he's get, he's starting to motivate me here. <laughs> I want it no, badly enough, and and that, that's all it is. But from the perspective of you know the format itself. It's when supply can't meet demand, then the you know interest is going to fall off. And in the end, even look at Wizards of the Coast here. They've printed these cards already. You know, I mean, they're done. They they don't make any money off of Black Lotus right now, really. You know, they don't. They're, it's secondary market to them. So to them as a company, it's not the it concern. Does it, it doesn't? Yeah, nothing. None of the the fact that Legacy. You know, is popular or not means nothing to them unless there's a, there's cards in ah, standard that are relevant. To legacy. If it doesn't matter to them, then why should they do it? Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. It it will matter to them if they can make money off of it, and they can make money off of it by printing these cards and making them more available. Now they're making money off of Chronicles too. You know, now they the company actually gets a profit off of this, and and that's that's. The, the secondary market is, of course, relevant, and I think it will always be relevant. Um, it's just going to fluctuate as it always has. I think, um, you know, Wizards of the Coast has very good uh, reason to want to, to do something like Chronicles because they can make money off of it. I mean, it, it's very... The, the downside is that they break this promise, you know, that they made. And, uh, you know, that... That they made. I'll put that in quotes. <laughs> Air yes, quotes. Just a one thing while we're on the topic. You don't. Could you pull up Aaron Twitter's uh, Force, uh, Aaron Forsyth's Twitter mm-hmm. real quick? Because yeah. I believe there's a relevant tw- tweet he sent the last 24 hours or something like that. Hang on. Supporting formats of 99% off sale cards doesn't make a lot of business sense, but having happy players does. Okay, if it doesn't make business sense, how are you going to convince Hasbro to get on board with this? Well, because that's what they're saying. Supporting formats that uh, of 99% off-sale cards doesn't make business sense. That is, that's the thing. What? Right. It doesn't make business sense for them to support Legacy because they don't make any money off of it. Which is what you're doing if you're trying to do this. So no, if they start printing Chronicles, they are. It, they, it, they're not off-sale cards anymore. That's what I'm saying. So they, when he's saying supporting formats, he means, I think, like tournaments and things like that. Pro Tour. Pro Tour, right. He, he's not saying... By making them well, available, now they're not all they, sale cards. Availability is a problem because they made a promise, or at least you could argue that the reason that they they haven't uh, you know addressed this availability issue is because of the promise that they made. Oh, it's after Chronicle. It's a natural, like we've I've been saying, it's a natural consequence of making limited sets. Right. So I mean, if you make everything unlimited, there's really little incentive to buy anything then and there if you know it's going to happen later and you can get cheaper. Right, and, and that's and true. that's but hurting your sales anyway. They're, they're, the incentive is people who are impatient, like me. I want to play Jace, the Mind Sculptor, now. I don't care if he's being printed in M- M11. I want to play him now. 
<laughs> like I that's that you capitalize on people like that. There's you know the iPhone and things like that where it's like, well, next year they're going to be releasing probably a better one. So do I just wait for that? No, I want it now. Like that's why you you buy it when you want it, and if the people that want to wait can wait. But as far as like something being, but that's see that's the thing right there. That's what everything is based off of. All of capitalism is based off marginal value. How bad do you want something, and how much would you how much would you pay extra for the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixteenth copy of something? That's called marginal value. If you de you'll decrease marginal value across the board, that people don't have the desire to buy even the first one. If you have mass, if you have your Chronicles two set, it's all conjecture. You know what I mean I, at this point. But I, I would expect that something like Chronicles would increase demand, even if by one, because now I demand it. Now I, it's something I want to do because he, these are available. That's something I can say for sure. Um, so now this is something that I want that that I will purchase from Wizards of the Coast. You know not from the secondary market, that they will be making money off of me that they weren't making previously. So, I, I don't know. I think we've, you know, it is an agree to disagree thing, I guess. I'm just not really sure exactly what, well, where my, the problem my, comes for you my point individually. Is this, my, no, my, individually. My, take my individual arguments out of this completely, because I'm just going to, the reason why I kept my individual arguments out of this is because it's not about my opinion. It's about what I think is the issue of the reserve list. It's the issue, not the person. If I wanted to make this Personal arguments, trust me, I probably could have pulled a couple things. I just held my punches. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. These are all, of course, my personal arguments. That's yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not arguing from a personal standpoint, because if I were arguing from a personal standpoint, I could say something to the effect like, I don't feel that my students' uh, college tuition should be devalued having been invested in magic cards. <laughs> that doesn't. That bothers me. It doesn't. So if it's definitely not about value. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I, I didn't think that we would, like, using this, like, form, I didn't think that we would actually come to any sort of conclusion or change anyone's mind. It's, but it's, it was a fun exercise to, like, just kind of get some different opinions and just to have a discussion on the reserve list, because um, I feel like a lot of the discussion on the reserve list has been very one-sided from people who are of Joe's perspective, like, get rid of it entirely. And I felt like I felt like Lloyd deserved um, an opportunity to represent the, the the vintage community and to Whoa, 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 time out. Hold on a second. <laughs> I Wait totally a did not represent the vintage community. I didn't know. I was you can make the argument that Stephen Nitton did that job already. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying like represent your side. Represent that, your that, side. Represent a side that's a, a dissenting opinion. Exactly. Well, that's a good idea. I mean, like I just feel like I feel like that was important, and I felt like that that was an important perspective for people who might listen to us and might have only been seeing one side of the argument. You know what I mean? I, I felt like we needed to get that other side out there while also, you know, while also giving the opportunity to discuss that side of the argument. And, you know, I just, I just felt like it was a, a useful exercise. Um, hopefully the listeners will find it equally as useful, um, and hopefully, uh, you know, Joe won't just edit all of Lloyd's comments out. <laughs> Lloyd wasn't no, even kidding. here. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, just to, to kind of close, I want you to have a chance, because just to kind of sum up your argument for why you think that printing more copies of these cards is a bad idea. Um, I basically think it's a bad idea on the grounds that, first off, you're going to piss off everybody. 
You're going to piss off everybody because there will not be enough for the player base that wants desiring these reprints unless it's mass-produced, which if you go that far, is and that being the only logical conclusion, for the sake of the game, you will offend anyone that's... A lot of people, I'm not going to say everyone, that's a you know generalization that would be unfair. You will offend a lot of people that have invested the time to do it. You devalue the trading experience of the value of the currency, as Joe put it, of getting cards. There's a loss across the board, and I don't know if the gain offsets that loss. Is a short version of it. Okay. That potential gain and a potential loss. I can all admit the loss is potential. All of it is speculation at this point. Right, and I think that's where our disagreement is is in what actually would happen because. You think there's going to be a loss across the board, and I think there's going to be a gain. <laughs> That's I, where I disagree. I'm, not saying, I'm saying there's going to be a gain, but I'm not saying the gain's going to offset oh, the loss. I, 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 I do. That's what I mean. I think the gain is going to, off, to offset the loss because I think there are the, the legacy and vintage community is a lot smaller than the non-legacy and vintage community who now will have an opportunity to, to, to play those. So I think there's more people that are... Or, or there's less people that would be hurt Less people that stand to lose than stand to gain. That's what I mean. Did, Including did you, Wizards of the Coast. Did you want to add anything else, Lloyd, before we wrap up? No, not really. I'm thinking, like I said, I think we're not going to get anywhere. <laughs> right. Well, well yeah, I think that was. I think we. Just I think we basically just. I mean, I. That's the basic gist of it. It's like there, whatever loss, whatever gain may happen. I don't think it's necessarily going to offset the potential losses. It might actually. If it does, that's great. If it doesn't, well, you know, it's one of those things that I don't. I'd rather err on the side of being, you know, a stingy and then loosen up as opposed to try to open things up too quickly and then ruin everything at that point. I, and, you know, I'd just like to say that I really feel like I've, I've gained some new perspectives today. Um, I feel like, you know, I've heard your side. I mean, I've heard your side before, mm-hmm. but I feel like I've gotten some different, like, I would say some greater insight into you as a magic player, frankly. Me? <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and I really feel like... Um, oh, I, if you want to put it this way, you could say that Joe is the proletariat and I'm an elitist jerk. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I feel like Lloyd has also um, really helped me realize, honestly, some of the reasons why, um, you know, doing away with the reserve list entirely might be a bad idea. Um, I mean, I mean, not... Okay, May, okay, let's okay, let's 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 try to stray away from the reserve value, list let's, talk. Let's right, get right, rid right, of the value but, but, but all I'm saying is, like mass reprints. Do, it, I mean, like I I personally like like I said, I'm personally of the opinion of some sort of limited print run, some sort of special promotional kind of deal, or like a gradual release of things here and there. Like I'm okay with that. I, I personally don't think that, um, and I would say that was a problem, but I hear it on the radio all the time. Um, I hear computer noises on the radio constantly. I'm like, are you serious? Like, That's funny. So my point was that I'm starting to see some of the reasons why mass reprints might be bad. And, 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 and you know, it's not that I think that players shouldn't be allowed more access into um, older formats. It's just that I, I think Lloyd has a decent point that there is something that could be considered going too far. And I feel like there, if they want to give people access to older formats in a way that will benefit them financially and to um, 
not destroy the collectability of some of the older cards, that they're going to have to really approach it, um, like, delicately. Is, right. is the best is the simplest way to put it is that they're gonna to have to approach the issue delicately and they're going to have to approach it very carefully or they could potentially damage older formats in, in my opinion I mean like yes I understand that having more players playing a format is better for the long-term health of that format but to do something like printing a second chronicles to me feels like it it, it could it has the potential to be bad. But I feel like, you know, something like From the Vault has been done in a limited enough run where, if it's done right, could be one way to get some, you know, get some more people into the game. Right. And what I've been saying with that is that effectively is a shot in the arm, a band-aid on a cancer patient. Okay, and I agree with that. That's because actually one of the things I have written here. That's so. literally the thing, because it's a band-aid in a cancer patient that it fixes, It fixes like, yeah, you got more people involved in, save for, like, what, the print of, like, roughly 1,500 people. Divide that by four, that's how many people you got in Legacy. Right. You did get more people involved in the format. Yes, you accomplished your objective, but it's not enough for everybody to get involved. And in order to do that, you have to take it a step further, and that's where the problem starts. Right, well, maybe you don't want to get everybody involved. And then you have dissatisfied people like Joe... Who aren't able to do it now because they aren't those cars that were more available. Now they still can't get a hold of them. Right. right. Now, now that's actually what, one of my points here is a trickle of inserts is not going to help enough to matter. It's actually probably the worst option because now they piss people off. Some cards lose value because they print kind of these limited amounts, but it's not enough to significantly increase demand because not enough people can get into it. Like, and this goes back, harkens back to my lose lose situation. You can lose by not doing anything at all. You can lose by starting to do something. You lose even. You can lose. Uh, you know, just dropping the boat. Right. Well, and, and for example, in this the trickle sense of the word, you're, you're using from the vault. I'm thinking they did this priceless treasures thing with Zendikar, you know, and well, I would have, I'm just saying, if I would have pulled a Black Lotus from that, I would have sold it because it, I would have had no use for it. I couldn't play it. And I'm not going to let it sit in my binder for no reason just to have. That's not, you know, it's just doing nothing. I want to play with it, but I'm, I don't, can't play with it. I don't have the cards to surround it to make me feel like it's a... I can play a deck. So to me, you know, pulling a, you know, a single revised dual land, I probably would have sold it. I mean, maybe that would have been something I would have held on to, but because it, would, I didn't stand to gain as much monetary value in selling it, you know, 50 or 60 bucks, but it still would have been like sitting there. And I don't know that it would have enticed me enough to go out and seek out the other 59 cards I need to play, you know, my deck. So... So those trickles, I feel like, you know, that kind of thing is just not enough to matter. Judge promos, these here and there kind of things, like, it's just not enough to make a difference. Right. Um, and as far as, like, some people's arguments, which wasn't brought up now, is was about, like, wizards printing something and it not being standard legal. You know, like, Crazy. players are going to that, be confused. But that's not right. true because that they've got unglued, unhinged, dual decks from the vaults. Those yeah, are all I mean, products all that, readily All that available. aside, I mean, that's the thing right there. Standard legality is not an issue because they can do it, as Joe said. They can do a set that's not standard legal. It's a, they've only, done it, and they, they're doing it. Yeah, they are doing it. Right. So, I mean, so that's, that's not, not an issue. issue. <clears throat> right. Um, one example I wanted to give was Versus System. Um, those cards are out of print. But they're worthless because they have no game to support it. Now, we're not to that extreme at all with Magic, and I don't think it's going to go to that extreme. But if 
you know, these cards are less and less available because they're out of print, it's going to get to a point, like with Vintage, where the interest dies off because they can't keep, they can't build the format. They can't keep drawing in interest because there's not enough cards available. So it kind of dries up. Now these cards can start to drop in value. I mean, they've gained, a lot of the legacy staples have doubled in value because of the tournaments and them being relevant and being being uh, heavily played. As soon as those legacy st tournaments stop or stop being successful, those cards are going to lose their value and probably go back to around what they were. So, you know, you have kind of an example here of, you know, the fact that they are relevant and can be... Um, and are heavily played is actually playing is helping their value. So the more people I think you can get into the game, the more they stand to gain from uh, the, the card's value actually stands to gain. Maybe not initially, but eventually. Um, I think you know cards have value because they're either scarce, like alpha, beta, first printings of things, um, or they're heavily played because basically both of those are just saying demand is greater than supply. They're a function right? of each other at that right. point. And there's no disagreement on that. Right. Topic. I mean, the example I think in one of the articles was Shiv and Dragon. Now, it's not a great card. It's not heavily played, but the alpha version is scarce, so it's it has some value. It's because it's an alpha version. Right, exactly. It's scarce. It's scarce. So for the collectors out there, they want it because it's scarce. Well, if they reprint Shiv and Dragon, which they have, it doesn't lower the value of that initial alpha printing because it's an alpha, it's an alpha it's, one and it's the only one it's still alpha but you're using the alpha, alpha beta argument with that's not the same argument as using something like dual lands which are available revised and unlimited which do get hurt unlike alpha and beta because alpha and beta just maintain their value regardless right but, but and the majority of that market in dual lands is the unlimited revised set that's the high, that's over 75% that's probably 75% of the dual lands available on the current market Right, so, and my argument is basically any dual lands they put into the market are going to want, people are going to want to play them, right? Or, you know what I mean, they're going to... Oh, disagree with that. There's dual lands that never see play. Well, I'm, I'm just saying, like, they're going to they're gonna keep their value because that's more people that can play. You know, if somebody, if they just, you know, I had a printer here that was direct line from Wizards of the Coast and they just hit print and sent me out a, you know, a set of all the dual lands... Guess what? They have another legacy player right now because I've got the dual lands, you know? They just increased their player base by one by just hitting print on the dual lands for me. You know, now I can play, uh, you know, I can play legacy because I have this chunk of cards that's that's so important to legacy. Um, you know, now I'm, that's what I'm saying. They've increased their player base by one just simply by doing that. Uh, and so my argument is that when they do that, if they, they magnify that, they multiply that by thousands, of course, there's going to be players who go dual lands, and they're not going to play them. But you know, there's going to be a lot of players that say, "Now I have these. Now I can play this other format." It's you know they've increased their player base, and that helps. I think legacy, all legacy players, you know, that having more people to test with and play with and play against. If I built a legacy deck right now, who would I really play against? You, maybe you only play vintage, but I mean, you at least have cards to be able to play legacy. I would, Joe would go, I have. A natural order. <laughs> I don't even have one of those. I traded. Well, and that's kind of I have survival of the fittest. And, you know, like, and that's my. That's the kind of the point. It's like one of the reasons I stopped playing Magic like in 2006 is because I didn't have people play it, and I have all these cards. 
Right. So, and that's what I'm saying. So, making them more available makes doesn't necessarily more players available. And, and this is in the middle of when the Star City series was coming to my town, left and right. Yeah. Well, and I'm, te- I'm, of course. It and doesn't. you're telling me that it's not about availability. Well, I'm saying it's no guarantee, but I'm saying it's it's putting the making these cards available to more players makes more players have the cards to be able to play them. I think it's part of it is the community. <laughs> like there is a very strong legacy community in, like, say, Rockville, for example. Uh huh. If I lived in Rockville, I would probably be playing Legacy because I have more opportunity to do so on a regular, consistent basis. But I don't live in Rockville. I live in the middle of nowhere, Hartford Zone. <laughs> and I don't have the opportunity to do that. Heck, I don't even have the opportunity to play Vintage unless I travel up to Philadelphia, which is very awesome, by the way, and they haven't turned this weekend sponsored by... Uh, I should stop. No, um, you can say it. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Vintage weekend. tournament this Saturday in Bluebell, Pennsylvania at Alternate Universe. Near Philadelphia. Near yeah. Philadelphia. So, so it's uh, alternateu.com. Yes. And like I said about the legacy thing, I mean, we have those legacy vintage things at, uh, every Monday at Legends for people interested in breaking into the format. Hey, everybody. Uh, Joey here. I'm, um, I'm sitting here driving to work, and I'm thinking about this podcast that you're listening to right now that I've just uh, interrupted. Um, and over the past couple days, we recorded it on Tuesday morning. Uh, right now it's Wednesday night or Thursday morning, however you want to look at it. It's 1 a.m. on Thursday morning. Over the past couple of days, I've, um, I kind of keep realizing that there were points that I, I wanted to make and I wasn't able to make while we were recording. Um, just because I either forgot or we went off into a tangent, um, Things kind of got lost in the shuffle, but I, I just wanted to make maybe a few extra points, um, you know, on my end. And, and yeah, maybe this is unfair to to the uh, the opposite side of the argument. Um, but uh, hey, I, I, you know, it's half my podcast, so I think I have the right to <laughs> to do this. So um, I'm just going to edit this in here, and then we'll pick right back up where you were in the podcast. Firstly, uh, no other cards in the game besides the reserved list, um, have any sort of guarantee that they're going to maintain any sort of value. We have thousands and thousands of cards in this game, and, you know, only, you know, a a couple hundred of them have this guarantee that they're never going to be reprinted, and somehow that's supposed to maintain their value. Uh, In Stephen Menendian's article, he even goes to say the average or the median value of cards on the reserved list is 99 cents. So it's not really even maintaining the value of the majority of those cards. It's just, uh, you know, a small percentage of those cards that have this value anyway. But uh, aside from that, we have thousands of other cards that are worth plenty of money. I mean, I can think of, you know, Tarmogoyf, Baneslayer Angel, you know cards printed recently and cards printed, you know, a few years ago, engineered explosives, uh, you know, just off the top of my head, Ravnica Dual Lands, you know, have, have some value. Of course, they're not as high as, as you know, the Power 9, but um, for the most part, the majority of our cards have no guarantee that they're going to maintain their value, but people still have no problem buying these cards. Tarmogoyfs are still being sold at $90 each. Uh, Baneslayer Angels are still being sold at, you know, $55, $60. Um, 
and both of those could very well be reprinted in M11 or in another set uh, coming soon. Who knows? Um, that doesn't really stop anybody uh, from from buying the cards. So to say that you know these particular cards deserve special treatment is kind of one. I don't think it's necessary, and two, I don't I, I don't think that getting rid of the reserve list is necessarily, well, it, by itself, that's not going to affect the values of the cards, because it doesn't affect the value of any cards not on the reserved list. You know, those cards still hold value, and Tarmogoyf could re be reprinted as a common tomorrow, and sure, people would complain, but people are going to complain about anything, as I did mention earlier in the episode. So, uh, to say as your primary argument against the abolishment of the reserved list and or against the reprinting of these cards is uh, value-based, which Lloyd, I think, specifically stated uh, at one point that his argument was not value-based. Um, but to say that that is your primary argument, it's kind of... it's. It doesn't work that, you know, t t to quote Marissa Tomei in, uh, in My Cousin Vinny, it doesn't hold water because there are thousands of cards that can and will be reprinted in the future or, or that could be reprinted in the future, and, and some of them will, that ha hold value, some of which, uh, you know, if they're reprinted, the value will increase. Um, take a look at Meddling Mage, uh, for example. It was at a certain value, I'm not really sure what, but it wasn't very high, and then when it was reprinted, it spiked. Then it wasn't, um, you know, used much in standard, so it dropped back to its its original value again. But sometimes, it actually in most cases, something being reprinted for standard use actually increases in value. And uh, I think, you know, we I say standard, but what I mean is something being reprinted and then being playable and thus in demand, that is what increases its value. So, reprinting cards, despite actually increasing supply, Lloyd seems to think that there's no way to prove this, but I think it's pretty obvious that if it's a playable card, it will also increase demand for that card. And uh, we've al already seen an increase in demand for the format legacy because it's been made relevant. R printing some of these cards again will again make them relevant. Uh, whether, you know, I I'm not saying they should be reprinted for standard use. I'm not saying that at all. But um, I don't feel like, I, I still feel like I have not heard a good argument for keeping the reserved list and never reprinting these cards. I have I have yet to hear a good argument. I was hoping Lloyd would come up with one, and, and Lloyd, I know you're listening to this. I'm sorry that I'm saying this, but I, after, after our podcast and after going through editing some of it, I'm not sure that uh, I've heard an argument that sways my opinion whatsoever or that... Uh, that, that I feel like is a good reason at all, because the there's only a minority of players that have these cards. So, you know, if you go with the majority-minority kind of thing, the majority seems to 
be uh, more positively affected by just reprinting the cards or, you know, getting rid of the reserved list and allowing Wizards to reprint these cards. And Wizards is also included in that majority because they're not, at the moment, uh, positively affected at all by the secondary market. Um, you know, as far as they're, they're not getting any value out of people buying Black Lotuses from each other or dual lands from each other. Um, but they would be positively affected if they were to create a set where they were printing these cards again. So um, they fall into that majority, and I think they're a very important part of that majority, because if they stop printing magic cards at all, you know, like Upper Deck did with Versus System, the game falls apart, because there's no support for it. Um, sure, I can go dig out my Versus System cards and play with my friends, and then I have, and that's fine, but there's no new cards coming out. There's no more uh, support for the game, and those cards, the value of those cards has tanked. I mean, cards that were $25, $30 are now a dollar, $5, maybe, if that. Um, so, you know, Wizards of the Coast and their success is of primary importance to our game. And I certainly don't want the same thing to happen to them. I'm not saying that this is something that would, uh, you know, if the reserved list were, were kept, that somehow Wizards would eventually go out of business. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm just trying to say that something that positively affects Wizards positively affects all of us. So, you know, I'm not seeing the argument on the other side. Um, apparently, there is an article today uh, by Matt Sperling... So uh, I'm going to read that, but uh, and hopefully that will present something that I can I can actually understand coming from the other side. But at the moment, I I'm not seeing a, a, a relevant argument. So anyway, I'll let you get back to the podcast. Um, thanks for listening to this little intrusion. But yeah, so, um, so I guess that's about everything. Guess we should hit up some contact info and sure, stuff like why that. not? So uh, as always, you can contact us at yoMTGtaps at gmail.com. Please send us your mailing address if you would like some stickers. Um, leave us a voicemail at three three one MTG Taps. You can follow us on Twitter at yoMTGtaps, and you can follow just me on Twitter at Affinity for Blue. Uh, you can check us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash YoMTGTaps. Can I read this one? Yes. Become a fan of YoMTGTaps on Facebook by visiting www.facebook.com slash pages slash yo-mtg-taps slash 237-38-344-2842. You can also find Joey's blog at affinityforislands.com, and you can find my blog at otherworldlyjourney.blogspot.com. You used to call Notorious B-I-G N-O-T-O-R-I-O-U-S Big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I thought was really funny back in the day. <laughs> but, um, so, otherworldlyjourney.blogspot.com is my blog. I just posted a, uh, Grixis list, um, that I think is pretty interesting. I'm going to test it out today. Um, what was I going to say? Um, duh. Oh, yeah, I'm probably going to do some more blog posts here, uh, because I've just been wanting to blog more, so I'm going to probably do that. Um, also, I wanted to mention something that I haven't even mentioned to you. Oh, cool. Um, but... But, I mean, we kind of discussed it, but I just wanted to say this on the podcast, is that um, me and Joe are going to try to, because some of you may not know this, 
me and Joe had a podcast before uh, we had um, the internet, I think. Um, oh, God. And, uh, <laughs> oh, God. And, um, terrible. And we... Uh, there's at least one tape floating around at my house, I <laughs> Cassette think. Cassette tape, right? Cassette tape. And I think Joe might have one as well. I think that every once in a while, um, uh, throughout these podcasts, uh, we're going to do some Blast from the Past uh, sections, where we put segments of these pod- uh, of these recordings that we did. <laughs> Cassette on- casts. Right? Cassette casts that we did back in the day. Um, just... Just because they're hilarious. Question, like, was this from your, when you guys were in high school? Or no, oh, well, no. Well, when he was, was in high, high school, school and I was in was... seventh grade, and uh, we were we were making recordings good. on tapes of us just like messing around with guitars and like talking about stuff and prank phone calls and stuff like that. So uh, we we're gonna. We, I swear to God. Eventually, hopefully. we're gonna dig these tapes up and we're gonna find a way to get at least segments of them. Onto the podcast, probably mostly after the uh, the song at the end of the podcast. So this and, is your... and I'll, just now that you mention that, I'll have something. It's not from that long ago, but just from a couple of years back. Some people might have already heard it, but I'll, I'm going to put it on there. They'll just have to listen to after the music to hear what it is. But uh, I don't even know what the hell it is. You'll, you'll know when. It... Uh, also, definitely want to mention the Baltimore Open. That's right. Um, this. Uh... This Saturday, March 13th, uh, the same day as the Bluebell Vintage event. If you're not going to Bluebell, you should come down to the Inner Harbor and um, play in the Baltimore Open. Um, registration's from 9 until 10.30, and it's $30 to enter or $25 if you pre-register. Um, you can pre-register on BaltimoreMTG.com, um, hosted by Gone to Plaid Games. $2,500 in cash being given out to the top 16 finishers. Is it just standard, or are they having a second event like they did last time? They might do a side event, but like... they had, um, I think it was last time they had that standard and extended event. Oh, I don't know much about that, honestly. I don't remember, because that was when the weekend it all got canceled because of all the snow and crap. Right. Yeah. There's no excuse for not playing something this Saturday. That's right, that's right. You can play vintage in Pennsylvania, you can play standard down here, you probably do some booster drafts at the, uh, at the Open... All kinds of stuff. One thousand dollars for first prize, four hundred for second, one hundred and fifty dollars each for third and fourth, a hundred bucks for fifth through eighth place. Top eight, you get like seventy bucks. You know what I mean? Like right, off right. your, I mean, up above your entry fee. That's Ninth right. through sixteenth place get fifty bucks each. So mm-hmm. uh, some wonderful opportunities to uh, win some cash uh, this weekend. So you should come check it out. Uh, yeah, don't forget to check out. Uh, Star City Games for those articles that we mentioned if you want to read them. Um, and also, of course, uh, Patrick Chapin's Next Level Magic. Um, keep an eye on Star City Games. And um, I think some information will be forthcoming this week. But March 22nd is the launch date as far as I understand. So Yep. It should be available and ready to ship at that point, he said. So. Awesome. Pretty cool. Uh, thank you guys for listening, as always. Thanks, Lloyd, for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, Lloyd.
This is Tom from MTG Cast with a, probably is my last interview of Worlds here, and with the illustrious Joe. I'll let Joe describe who he is and where he is. Um, this is Joe from, uh, well, I'm Jaylon on MTG Salvation, and uh, I'm a fan of MTG Cast, and I've had the pleasure of, uh, of Tom's company for the past two days, so uh, I guess we've had a lot of fun here at Worlds this weekend. And, uh, so we so we stayed in a, a nice hostel last night, and um, it, it had one extra thing, and it was missing one thing. That one extra thing was a smell, yeah. and I'm gonna and Joe's gonna tell us what that smell was, and then what was missing from our room. Uh, let's see. So the first thing that we noticed was uh, when we walked in is uh, the smell of cat urine. Uh, we didn't see any cats, <laughs> but there was definitely some cat urine or something that smelled a lot like it. Um, and then we were there for a few minutes and going through our stuff and happened to notice that there was no garbage can in the room, so we just had a little pile of trash. I guess uh, I guess that was left for the, the cleaning people to take, but you'd think a garbage can wouldn't be too much to ask. So, Joe, um, as you kind of told me before, you're you know, kind of a little more of a tournament player. We played a few games. I think you won every one. Um, kind of tell us quickly, uh, you were you know, obviously here Saturday, Sunday. Tell us kind of what, what events you did. Um, did you watch World Championship? Did you not? Kind of fill us in. Um, pretty much I, I did a lot of trading. Um, I only played in one side event, which was an eight-man pickup draft. Uh, because I had a little coupon which I got from the lower one pre-release. Um, since it was free, I figured I'd try it. It was actually the first time I've ever drafted. Um, even though I've been playing Magic for 12 or 13 years now, I never actually drafted. So for free, I thought, why not try it? Um, didn't do too well, but I had fun, and that was the point. Um, I watched the finals, or the semifinals and the finals of the, uh, the individual championships, and that's always a lot of fun. The... The two final decks, there was a Dragonstorm deck piloted by Pat Chapin from the USA, and uh, the final, the winner was uh, Yuri Peleg. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right. He was playing a uh, black-green rock deck with Doran the Siege Tower and uh, Garrick Wildspeaker and some elves and Oran Viper. Um, that kind of thing. Any good stories? Oh, we have we seen? We should, we should probably get the other Tim and Joe on here, too. So this is Tom. I'm interviewing the other uh, two people that I stayed with in the cat urine soaked garbage list of part, uh, <laughs> hostel that we stayed in. So first we'll go with, I'll let you introduce yourself. Uh, yeah, I'm Tim, but uh, not a member of uh, MTG cast. What about MTG Salvation? Whatever. MTG Salvation. So I should, I, should, I should stop interviewing you now? Is that what you're saying? Okay. This is how bad my uh, real interview went. So any memorable trades from Worlds this year? <laughs> yeah, kind of a bad memorable one. Well, yeah, tell me the, a bad one, too. I traded uh, Thoughtseize and the uh, Unas Prowler for two uh, Swords of Temptation and the um, Cryptic Command. Though I did definitely improve my deck uh, immediately. Probably could have got a little more for the Thoughtseize. But it made your deck better, though. Yeah, definitely. Now, did, now, did you plan some sort of cool side event today? Oh, yeah, yeah. Two-headed giant uh, sealed deck 10th edition tournament. And uh, that didn't go so well because uh, five or seven rares were uh, mana-related uh, abilities. You know, we had uh, three dual lands, a doubling cube, and a ray of Dawnbringer. Another, uh, an elf that produces mana. So uh, we 
We lost twice uh, in a row in drop because it was uh, pretty horrible losses. Now, which? Now, I'll be talking to your two-headed partner. Now, which deck? What deck did you play today? Um, well, I played a um, I played a blue-white, and he played a uh, red-black. Uh, the problem was, I think we didn't really have any mid-range creatures. It was all like um, it was all small creatures and like counter. But um, you know, from from the steel deck, I didn't have enough counter to make it work. So I counter two or three spells, and my hand would be empty. Well, I'm I'm <laughs> I just feel down now. We better talk to. <laughs> and when I said before, the two-headed partner, he doesn't actually have two heads. Well, I don't know. How, how dirty can we be on that? <laughs> I can edit whatever you want to say out. I could probably bleep stuff. Okay, well, all I was going to say was, ladies, this is Joe, uh, a.k.a. Big Head Joe from uh, the MTG Salvation Forums. I'm a new member. Be nice to me. Um, and uh, if you want to know about those two heads, all three of you can uh, give me a ring. Um, so, uh, yeah, the, the two-headed giant thing was terrible. Uh, <laughs> Now, what, now, which deck did you play? Which deck did I play in the two-headed giant? Yeah. Oh, um, well, we, 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 we split up. He played a blue, uh, blue and white, and I played some uh, black and red. I had about, I think I had 11 things in the deck that cost one mana or less, and I drew, the first game, I drew one of them, and uh, drew my, we, we both each drew our second mana of our other color uh, right at the end of the game, so that was lovely. <laughs> um, and so, so yeah, it, it was pretty much a disaster. Viridian Joiner, Doubling Cube, I was thinking about some sort of, uh, and we, I don't think we had any, well, we had the one spell that cost X, the one that puts all those zombies out, but uh, that, that, but yeah, but then like, yeah, he made me discard it, so <laughs> I was like, oh, great. So I just sat there and dropped lands every turn. Uh, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, sorry. No, I was just, I, I watched I watched you playing your deck a little bit, and I saw you had at least two Ornithopters in this uh, deck. What, what were you doing with Ornithopter? I had fire breathing. I wanted to put it on the Ornithopter. <laughs> <laughs> This is this is killer strategy, folks. Right here, right now. <laughs> so now uh, we did, you, we just did worlds. Where are you going back to? Going back to Baltimore to go back to work, and then I'm going to New Orleans next weekend. Anyone in New Orleans, hang out with me. It'll be boring. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Because apparently, if what Joe told me before was true, he sells crack for his for his, for his career. <laughs> you got to make bread somehow. But I mean, do you really have to sell crack, or does it sell itself? Oh, you know, it's an open market, man. You're just offering the crack. I'm just. I mean, I just go out there, you know, I just stand there, people are like, hey, hey, what you got, you know, and they, they know what's up, so it's like, you know, it, it, by now I'm, I'm, a, I'm a known face in the community, and, uh, you know, people just know where to go, they see me, they know that, you know, crack Joe, is Joe happening, crack. Joe equals crack, <laughs> I want that on my tombstone, actually my tombstone, my favorite, the favorite thing I've ever come up with for my tombstone is, uh, you know, my name, born, died, and then it says, now available in dead, but uh, I think that would be great, um, but anyway. Well, my last question, I, it won't be quite as good on the thing, but I, I want to see, we need a demonstration, was it the rapid snap or the quick snaps? Oh, the quick snap, my <laughs> quick snap, it's like, girl on top of my motherfucking head, girl. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So, so th th thank you, Team Baltimore here. Or was it, was it, was it the Baltimoreans? Was that the Baltimoreans? Baltimoreans. There is no T in Baltimore. <laughs> Baltimore. Baltimore. So thank you, guys. This is Tom, Leaving Worlds.